Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode 25 of Movie Dumpster. Today we're talking Giver, Dark Hero, directed by Steve Wang from 1994. I'm Joe Escola. I'm Sean O'Rourke. I'm Connor Giver Zoonoid McGraw. Welcome to the dumpster. It's been a year since the alien armor invaded my body and became a part of me. A year since I first became the Giver and destroyed the Kronos Corporation and their shape-changing killers, the Zoonoids. Now Kronos is gone, but the Giver stays in me. Calling me to fight. To kill. Wow, my nostalgia has been tickled, uh infinitely since we watched Giver 1 and apparently lots of other people's has been too. Yes, um the when we when we visited the Giver uh it totally uh, just took me back like we were talking about in that episode. Um, but yeah, it's been buzzing around. I fucking picked up the anime cuz I never actually saw it. Man, the anime is <laughs> really fun actually. <laughs> it's really good. I watched about 4 episodes and I watched now here my experience with it was very interesting because I decided to watch the uh, the dubbed version from like I don't even fucking know 89 I think and it has been a long time since I've watched any dubbed anime that's that old uh, that hasn't gone through like a remaster process because I found this on the corners of YouTube right and the audio quality from actor to actor ranges and people have varying degrees of talent in one scene so you get exchanges like this someone goes you don't know what the word Giver means. It means out of control. I can't believe you know what the word Giver means. Ha, 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 ha. And then the next guy has like audio crackling coming through his voice. But uh, it's fun to watch. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, now, you watch the 80s and 90s version, right? Yes, I didn't watch any of the reboot. Okay, I bought the reboot, the Funimation release for the 2005 version. So I'm, I'm curious because I wanted to talk to you about this. From what I understand, now I watched like the first episode or one of the episodes uh, from the 89 and I'm watching the 2005 and I'm like, okay, this is like nearly the same exact thing beat for beat just redone with less gore comparatively berserk did that as well didn't it because when berserk rebooted itself it just kind of re- came back with this kind of glossy semi-ugly animation and kind of just covered the same points i think right this this is a pretty common thing in anime whenever a company reboots it or someone else buys the rights to it and they want to put their spin on it so the way i understand it because i i actually have it you know queued up on my Crunchyroll account i just haven't had the time to sit down and watch it because i am interested but uh, the, from a little research that I did, it's just the 2005 is a total retelling, um, and it's supposed to be s- closer to the manga, so you're going to have some repeat shit if you saw the original series. And like Joe said, it, it is definitely way more violent, the original. I mean, even if you go back, let's talk about something that's a little bit more popular, uh, you know, commonplace, like Dragon Ball Z. You know, they did uh, Dragon Ball Z Kai a few years ago, which was basically they took all the old episodes and they cut all the bullshit out. But they also went in and removed all the blood because the censorship, from what the way I understand it is, they got away with a lot more shit back then. Like with people having blood coming off of them and fucking heads exploding and whatnot. I mean, you look at uh, Fist of the North Star, that was like around, you know, what, late 80s, early 90s? Yeah. And now it's just, you know, censorship's a little different over there. You know, if it was in a manga, 
It kind of depends on the company that you're working with. Like, like, you know, Connor mentioned Berserk. That's still probably one of the most violent, crazy, like most fucked up, you know, series you could possibly watch. But I feel like at least, like I said, a little bit of research that I did that it's just supposed to be a retelling of the manga. It's funny you mentioned Dragon Ball because Dragon Ball has gone through various cycles of censorship. Because when I first started watching on like fucking WB when I was like, I don't know, seven years old, it was censored to hell and back. And you could tell even as a child they would superimpose objects like rocks and big old like hit balloons over people's faces to avoid punches being shown to avoid blood and then Toonami happened, and they're like, yeah, here's the rest of it. Oh, all the blood's still there. Have fun. Yeah, Toonami, the only thing I remember they ever did was there was a scene in the Majin Buu saga where, where fucking uh, Mr. Satan is at a bar, and it just says root beer on the fucking bar sign. Oh, yeah, they did that a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, and he was called Hercule. Don't forget that one, folks. You know? Oh, yeah. Many of you out there probably know that one. In, uh, in Dragon Ball Z Abridged, all of the beer and all the drinks have been replaced by this generic drink called Heatap. I'm, I don't even know what the fuck it is. But it's everywhere. It's all they drink is heat tap. Yeah, not not they get off on a side tangent about other cartoons, but it's like you know I don't know if you guys ever watched regular show at the you know it was like a show for kids, but it had a lot of adult jokes in it. Let me tell you, that show is only for adults. <laughs> oh well, you know what I mean though. And they'd always be drinking out of red solo cups, and they'd be like, "We're drinking juice." I don't know. Anyway. Back to this movie. That's awesome. But uh, yeah. So like, as far as far as the remake of the um anime version of Giver goes, um, it's fine. Uh, you know, I really wanted. I bought it thinking that it was the originals by accident, but that's okay anyway because I wanted to own both versions. So I was like, all right, fuck it. But I popped it in, and it's just not as bloody as I wanted it to be because it was like if. I feel like that kind of bonkers off the wall shit is what makes it work a little bit better. But um, yeah, the anime's fine, um, and it's funny because uh, how how much did you watch Connor of the original? I guess I said probably three or four episodes. Okay, so was was Risker um introduced? L- yes, Lisker is introduced, which is something I didn't okay. I didn't even know about either the movie or the anime is how much was borrowed from the source material and right uh adapted pretty faithfully on screen, like the anime opening. One particular sequence in the anime opening is lifted nearly verbatim into this film. Yeah. Um, and also, like, the main... I, I watched a little bit more than you. I think I'm on, like, episode eight. And I don't know exactly how well it clicks with the original as far as that goes. But anyway, the bad guy in this movie is actually in the anime, like, straight up. It's like, that's kind of, like, right out of it. Really? Yeah, there's a lot of parallels here. And it's weird because in the anime, Risker actually gets one of the guys now there's three Giver units in the anime and they there's like a big explosion and uh Sagawa like well Sagawa also isn't he like just one of the uh, students like he's one of the main characters he doesn't just die in the first five minutes that's my understanding of it at least it's like Tetsu Sagawa and Mitsuki Sagawa and then their father was the guy that worked for Kronos oh okay so there's like a big explosion or whatever because they're trying to like recover the Giver units and the three of them go flying and then show who is Sean in the Giver movies gets one of the units and then Risker actually gets the broken Giver unit that has like yeah this- I, I saw that I saw him rip apart a bunch of like go- goon zoonoids with the power of the Giver so in the movie he's or the show he's not a zoonoid? He's just a guy? No, he is a zoonoid, but he gets the Giver. He gets what they call Giver 2 almost immediately. And then there's a third unit that this kind of like sleeper character gets. And he's part of Kronos, but is kind of like anti-hero. And he's Giver 3, which is strange. And I'm, and I'm talking about that on purpose because later in the movie, in this movie that we talk about, um, 
I'll bring it up again. Yeah, actually, I was going to say, um, I believe I read somewhere that as when this movie came out uh, in the Guyver franchise, this was the first instance of an act- of the Guyver Zoonoid. I think it was exclusive to this movie for a bit. I don't know if the show has ever done it since. I want to say uh, maybe maybe Risker isn't a Zoonoid in the in the anime. I think he is, though. Because he works, he works for Kronos Japan. I don't know. It, it's kind of still fuzzy. I didn't finish it, so I don't know where that's going exactly. Yeah, it's twenty. I know the uh, the original series is only twenty four episodes and they're twenty minutes apiece, so I'll be able to breeze through it at some point soon. Anyway, okay, let's jump into this. So this is the direct sequel to the first Guyver movie that we've discussed, and basically, a uh, little plot crunch real quick. Um, it's been. However many odd years since Sean has been endowed with the... It's been a year. It's been a, I thought he said a few years. They they say in the beginning, it's it's been one year since I defeated the Kronos Corporation. Also, let me uh, let me try that again. <clears throat> it's been one year since I defeated the Kronos Corporation. <laughs> we should note that uh, the Metal Gear Solid joke is going to fly freely throughout this episode because the one and only David Hayter is playing Sean this time around as opposed to the other guy whose name I don't know. Yeah, the fucking voice of Solid Snake for God's sakes. <laughs> yep. And Naked Snake in one game. <laughs> as a wee little baby. Oh my God, he really, you know, I couldn't believe how young he was in this. And, and you, you know, you have to kind of see it to believe, or I guess I should say hear it to believe it, but there's, you know, he, he sounds pretty just like a normal dude and then occasionally he'll have like these inflections that are just very Snake. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, again, it, it's just the guy's voice, but that's, you know, every once in a while it's like, oh, Snake, huh, okay, sure. Yeah, but he looks like fucking George Michael. <laughs> Oh, oh, I couldn't get it out of my head. <laughs> Jesus. So it's been a year since uh, Sean's been endowed with the power of the Giver. Now, he is having visions and um, seeing uh, weird shit in his dreams, and he's like drawing all this stuff in a notebook, um, and he's trying to find his purpose because he's because in his mind now that he defeated the Kronos Corporation and there's no more Zoonoids left, he doesn't know what to do with the power. And that's basically the plot of this movie. Right. Interesting thing here, too, um, you know, kind of becomes a, a a focal point throughout the movie is he's kind of almost like, for lack of a better way to explain it, he keeps going through these withdrawals. Um, and it seems like he's almost kind of like fighting the inner Giver against its, like, purpose. Right. Um, and you get, like, uh, you know, some pretty heavy brain damage, you know, feelings from this. You know, you're just missing the fucking Ilmer. Uh, but the rest of it, it's like this pump on his fucking neck that just they cut to multiple times in the film. It just looks like two big pimples on his neck vibrating. Yeah. Also, I, I don't know about you guys, but I got some strong fucking symbiote vibes from this. Oh, yeah, 100%. Way more so than the first movie. There's a very lycanthropy uh, element to it where he is definitely fighting the monster inside. That too, yeah. Because, like, it, it's, you know, the first movie is like, hey, cool, it's a guy with you in it. Ah, you can throw thugs. And everything. And this movie, he's like, oh, no, this thing has a bloodlust that I can't exactly control all the time. <laughs> well, to be fair, he did he did not forget how to throw those thugs. Let's be clear on that. No. Well, that's, well, that's, a, that's a signature move, but he also adapted some very new graphic new techniques. So we open up on um, a warehouse or what have you, and the fucking, the guy that's uh, in the white jacket from the beat, Michael Jackson Beat It video, he's there. I know. <laughs> he is this, he is a full Miami Vice thug who uh, could maybe stand in for Al Pacino and Scarface from like 200 feet away and he's like going through these crates like him and his bunch of like his goons yeah his goons his goons who all look like they were like someone a time traveler grabbed them from all from various other times and places in different kinds of action films (laughs) 
and just assembled them here. Like, Well, you know, like Joe said, it's literally the crew from fucking the Beat Up video. They all just met after the video and they started unloading these fucking cocaine dolls. <laughs> You've got like a, you've got a bunch of like, you have like a Cochise looking dude from the Warriors. You've got a, like an ambiguously Asian guy with a red headband. Um, several other white dudes with like uh, fucking beanies and sunglasses. Like they all look like just generic thugs who just like run into Steven Seagal or Charles Bronson. All the time. <laughs> so this guy is like taking out Barbie dolls and he's like, yeah, look at this. He's like, look at the, these, the, the fucking cocaine's infused with the plastic and, and the, the fucking cocaine in these Bobby dolls. This doesn't make any sense to me. If you melt down plastic, you get a puddle. Yeah, I'm like, what? Well, he's explaining this to the security guard. Like, there's two security guards. One, they already blew away. They're not even waiting around for this guy. And the other one, they're just, for whatever reason, explaining their entire plan. I don't know why, but they are. Why didn't they kill this guy immediately, too? Why are they keeping him alive? I don't... I, who the fuck knows? It's not like they were holding him for ransom or anything. No, right. Waiting for the Gaiva. So, <laughs> I guess, like, Sean doesn't know what to do with his powers, so he's like, I'm gonna go fight crime like fucking alien Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, really. He is like alien Batman for fuck's sakes. So he just becomes a vigilante and um, murders motherfuckers <laughs> straight up. Here's the thing about being a vigilante. Um, if you just leave a trail of bodies, you're going to attract a lot of attention. But however, like, uh, what what authority is going to come tell him no? Oh, he, he has other ways to track attention there, Connor, that we'll get to shortly. Yeah, which uh, that's, that's why I wanted to plant that Batman thing on you right there. <laughs> That is very Batman, not to keep reiterating that. Batman would vomit if he watched the Garver work. Oh, probably. <laughs> you smushed his head. <laughs> <laughs> He's throwing up in the corner. <laughs> Jason Todd's like, I like this guy. So they're doing their deal, and um, one of the guys that's like, up, one of their thugs that's up in the rafters, like keeping watch, gets fucking snaked from, um, literally. <laughs> he gets fucking solid snaked into the shadows. Yeah, Sean's up there in a fucking cardboard box with the Giver uniform yeah. on, just waiting. He shines a little light through the fucking, you know, uh, handle at the guy. Ah, over here, come on. So, um, so he takes this dude, and then I guess that alerts the guys on the ground, and he fucking, and he, like, ninjas past some, like, pipes and shit and they just they like see like a flash of something and then all of a sudden these guys just start unloading into nothing and they're just like their faces are just like so like blank like there's no like uh, you know like i don't know shooting gun faces no one's biting their lip or kind of making a mean mug they're just like oh bang they're just like hmm we're doing this they're all going full victor frankenstein oh damn you you know they were shooting everything looking for the fucking steam pipes and then they finally found it so the guyver could have like a cool entrance yeah they, they all look at each other like oh you guys empty you empty you empty yeah okay good dude sean's like behind a wall going like Oh, I was going to jump from the rafters, but this is way better. I'm vengeance. I am the knight. And then he, uh, yeah, and then a big old steam cloud forms. That's, oh, well, th he does uh, toss this dude from the top because uh, he, like, he makes this giant rig uh, move up top and distract everybody and uh, tosses this dude from, like, the, the catwalk or rafters uh, in one of many fantastic stunts in this movie. Uh, and this dude just fucking eats shit onto a car uh, in slow-mo. But uh, it's... If they had cut away as soon as he hit, it probably would have been perfect. But they lingered just long enough to see him consciously roll off the car. <laughs> uh, let me tell you something. 
he's throwing motherfuckers like into the same car like seven times. I know. He, it's really funny. Uh, we'll get into this as the movie kind of wraps up because it starts to get a real bad towards the end of the film. But the editing, at least in this director's cut that I think we all watched, is pretty fucking haggard. Yeah, the, the runtime on this one is, what, 128 minutes? Yeah, it, it's it's, you know, we'll cover it. I, I get why they cut, like, these 20 or 30 minutes out of the original film. Oh, for sure. There's one cut later in the movie in particular that I laughed so hard at that I'm going to dwell on it when it comes up. We're going to hold you to that, Connor. <laughs> so Guyver comes and wastes all these motherfuckers and then goes after Beta Dude. And fucking Beta Dude's holding um the cop hostage. And he just pushes this cop away from him. Or no, the cop, like, tries to fight back. And so he, so he like, pushes the cop off him and just fucking lights this dude up. He shoots him, like, fucking nine times. This cop gets nearly Alex Murphy'd. Like, he just goes, bam, 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 and then, like, cuts away, and the dude's, like, just got squibbing up, and I'm like, he's dead. He cuts back, bam, bam, he's dead, bam, bam, bam. I'm like, dude. <laughs> I think he lost conscious four bullets ago. <laughs> he only needed one, dude. Like, so Guyver, like, flips over and, um... Comes to check on the cop. I mean, obviously, he's fucking dead, you dumbass. Uh, and then he runs over to beat it, and beat it's like, no, 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 man. I, I Just arrest me. Don't kill me or whatever. And fucking he, Sean, like, shoots out the fucking blade on his elbow and just slits this motherfucker's throat. I actually kind of like the idea of, like, a hardened gangster, like, seeing something that's clearly not fucking human and going, like, dude, okay, I, no, I, I'm not playing anymore. Like, <laughs> like this this is completely out of my class. No, for sure, but, like, this is, it doesn't, he doesn't even look like a superhero. He looks like an alien he looks like a straight up alien he's like don't don't kill me just arrest me motherfucker do you do i look like a cop do i look like i'm going to put you in handcuffs <laughs> well like i think i said this last episode you know he looks like a beetleborg you know I, I i don't know what super sentai that was originally based on but that he looks like a dude with a beetle helmet on yeah yeah for sure it is very insect looking he looks like a stag beetle um yeah and then just takes his elbow and just jabs his dude in the throat and watches him bleed to death uh, and then turns around and uh, fires the <laughs> fires the bat signal into the cloud. No, he uh, he takes his little forehead laser, uh, which uh, did he use it as as a laser in the first movie? I don't know that he ever had a move like that in the first one. Okay, yeah, his his arsenal is like doubled in this movie. He gets a whole bunch of new tricks. That's in the anime though, and he figures that out like super early on, like the first or second episode. Yeah. Uh, forehead lasers the word Giver into this like thin oh fucking God. metal sheet. <laughs> How fucking Batman could you get? I couldn't believe that shit. I'll... Yeah, you have a bunch of dead mobsters and someone just shows up like cops go like, I don't know, what does it mean? I don't know. No, I mean literally, what does it mean? What the fuck is that word? <laughs> and they go, yep, that's him. Batman. Meanwhile, Bruce Wayne's like on top of a roof, just like shaking his fucking head. Bruce Wayne's like, that was not me. <laughs> I didn't do it. I didn't do it. <laughs> Uh, real quick, the guy who's doing the music in this movie, his name is Les Claypool the Third. I know that name. I thought it was the Les Claypool from Primus, but it's not. Um, but this dude's done music for Akira, the Akira anime, Ghost in the Shell anime. Really? Holy um, shit. Yeah, Perfect Blue, uh, Ninja Scroll, Whoa. Uh, one of the Resident <laughs> Evil movies. Because... I, I don't mind the music in this movie, but I just felt like the, you know, and I kind of ragged on the music in Guyver 1, but I kind of like the theme from the first movie better. It's just a little bit more gritty. The first movie has uh, more pronounced and louder industrial tones, and this movie kind of downplays them in, in lieu of like this kind of, I call it um, uh, the action piano. Bloom, 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 bloom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not crazy about the theme. The rest of it is fine. It's definitely an improvement over some of the shit we had to deal with with Guyver 1. Um, but 
that's that's super interesting. Yeah, the uh, the music from the first one just gives me like fuzzy feelings inside. It's like, yeah, motherfucker, Giver's coming for you. It's it's '90s action cheese. It's 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 kind of oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I would be interested. In, you know, this makes me think of something else. Um, but I, I would be interested if you know someone went in and replaced the music for, with this movie with the first movie or vice versa. Oh. Only because you know me and Joe have talked about for years of doing that with Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters Two. So it's just you know it's a weird thing in my head that I'm always thinking about. We got to do that. If you go on YouTube, there's a chance you might find it. I actually found. Um, someone edited and color corrected the entire final fight on YouTube and oh, actually really? made some of the cuts faster. Uh, so the fight actually came off uh, even better than on film because it's they they it's minuscule cuts. Wait for this movie? Yes, and I think added m- different music. Yeah, like someone messed like fuck with it just for fun, and I was like, this is actually really good. Fan edit. Yeah, I gotta do that. I gotta do that. Ghostbusters two special edition. There are some talented people roaming around the wild, the, the wastes of YouTube. So uh, we go back to Sean's apartment, and we get the idea that his life sucks. Oh my god! And and, and again, I, I hate to keep referencing things that are hard to visualize in audio podcast, but he the, there's it's fucking thundering out and. He wakes up and he is so startled. He's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> like I, I, I don't even know how to really get that across, you know, uh, audibly. But you got it, it's it's bizarre. It's like someone just fucking like. But every time he gets out of a, a solid sleep, he goes Otacon. I don't get like and and here in the the symbiote thing comes for like full circle right here because he's like he like wakes up and he's like he's like oh my god I, you know his fucking neck's pulsing he like can't control himself he's like it just wants me to kill and he's like. Hello, Sean. We're gonna do whatever we want. We're gonna go kill some motherfuckers. Do we have a deal? Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. Do we have a fucking deal? This part freaked me the fuck out. Out of nowhere, he just goes into the Lamin configuration. Yeah, this movie, this movie was very proud to be rated R and is not shy about uh, its rating whatsoever because we already got like the dude getting stabbed in the throat is you can get away with that in PG thirteen. Uh, Sean is in his apartment here and he's kind of he turns on the TV and he's kind of going through a sketchbook. Uh, and then the Giver unit is pulsing the back of his neck, and suddenly it it bursts out, and we are kicked to this cavernous area where, where what to assume is Sean is, like, tethered to this fleshy, gross fucking inside of an alien's nose or something, and all the Giver, <laughs> all the Giver armor pieces are crudely attached to him, and he's screaming in agony, um... And can't break free of this, and then wakes up. So we had basically a dream within a dream. It's the fucking Jesus web scene from Hellraiser, like, straight up. But it's like black glue. It's like black goo instead of blood. Yeah, very similar. Uncle Frank. <laughs> Come to daddy. Uncle Frank, is this a joke? Oh, I grossed myself out. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> um, and then Sean wakes up again in his apartment. Uh, and he turns... It's morning now, and he turns his TV on. I'm almost positive the he turns his TV on, you can hear the same movie that he was watching during his nightmare sequence which is this like bizarre fucking black and white monster movie where a bunch of like samurai are fighting a giant werewolf or something i guess but he's like watching like the weekly world news tv show and they're like they're like ah there's a there this monotone ass woman's like oh here we go to utah where there was a werewolf attack or something and then he like has he like records it like on his video recorder but he hits record before the fucking news report even starts like he's like oh this is gonna be good i can tell it starts it's like there's a chili uh cook-off down the street i guess the implication is like this is what he's been doing for a year to basically keep tabs on things because 
like someone says like I saw a man turn into a fucking giant uh, monstrous turtle and you're not gonna hear it on CNN you're gonna hear it on like the gossip rag right and that's what I was thinking like I was like this is like the fucking men in black when they go look for the tabloids like at the fucking newsstand <laughs> I'm like, like yeah. so 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 Guyver has like or Sean Guyver Sean has like it, this is like his CB. This is like his uh, police scanner. Right, right. Is the fuck this fucking TV show? He's like, I'm waiting for them werewolves to come so I can go fucking kill me some zoonoids. And it kind of actually reflects on like this movie actually has a running theme, which I think don't don't think the first movie has at all. The first movie is just like here's some action and some bad jokes. Yeah. And this movie actually spends time on Sean's state of mind and like he's like, what the fuck do I do with this now? Like I killed all these monsters and now I'm just sitting here and this thing keeps telling me to go out and murder stuff. I personally like the first one better, but we'll talk about that later. So he's watching this program, and um, this guy's like, I'm telling you, it was a fucking werewolf. I watched him transform. I'm telling you, I'm not drunk or whatever. And she's like, (laughs) and the fucking, the newscaster's just like, and there it is, a werewolf in Utah. Now... Elvis. I was like, oh, it takes place in Vegas? And how is he doing? And have you seen him lately? (laughs) I can confirm he's doing fine because I'm convinced I saw the genuine article on a cruise in 2008 because he, there's no reason to dress like Elvis, act like Elvis, uh, unless you're going to be Elvis. And this dude was just hanging out on a cruise ship for five days. I'm like, he, it's him. He escaped. (laughs) There's impersonators all over, man. Connor, you live in Las Vegas. You can't say that with a straight face, can you? (laughs) This is before I moved here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, hey, boy, you ever see you ever see them Zonoids before? Uh, and then I ran into one in a Walgreens, and I was like, oh, they're everywhere. Zoonoids or Elvis impersonators? Both. Zoonoids impersonating Elvis. Now, that's a movie I would pay to see. People who transform violently into Elvises. <laughs> <laughs> they're aliens. Uh, yeah, so Sean is caught up with the fact that he thinks that he destroyed the entire Kronos Corporation. He's like, yeah, I killed Kronos and all the Zoonoids are dead. I'm like, motherfucker. Like, he lays it out to you. David Gale lays it out to him in the beginning of the fucking first movie. He's like, he's like, yeah, they're all over the fucking place, Zoonoids. And he's like, nah, it's cool. I destroyed it all. I think there's another implication that he had been hunting them for a time after the first movie ended and probably had his resources dry up and was like, well, I guess that's it. What, what, what does he have a fucking uh, a zoonoid uh, radar tracker? He just fucking hits a button and it tells him where they are? No, he watches the news. Oh. He watches the fucking Weekly World News and it tells him where people saw alleged monsters. He, he keeps bumping into fucking uh, Scully and Mulder on these fucking trips. <laughs> They're just like, hey, Sean. <laughs> oh, it's you again. Tombs just turns into a fucking snake uh, zoonoid. He just gotta cut his head off. <laughs> the other thing is... Uh, Inside the Kronos building, there were those growth pods where they were, you know, growing new zoonoid organisms. And since he destroyed the building, at least that floor, it seems, I guess you would presume that those things would all die. The zoonoids, I don't mean to go off on the side tangent, but they are so fucking weird. It's like some or if all of them are are created in these pods, but then it's like you have these characters that are having human children, apparently... And I guess they've either just lived forever and they always looked like that, or there's just some funky shit they're not explaining because it's kind of fuzzy to me. I guess you can be you can be grown in a pod like the ones in Kronos, or a la Mark Hamill, you can be turned into one. Right, but this is where that get, like Sean was saying, it's fuzzy because like in the anime too, um, the guy, the leader of the Kronos Corporation, is like, yeah, we're gonna make we're gonna make zoonoids, and I'm like, okay, so you take a human and then you make a zoonoid when they, you know they put them in the liquid or and they inject them with shit or whatever but like sean said like or this movie suggests that there just was zoonoids 
mixed in with people. Right, right. That's kind of where I'm a little confused about that. It's fucking weird. But if we're going to really, like, digest it, like, if you're going to start a family, like, what if it acts like a mutant gene, and what if it's it's recessive and you may not develop it? Right, right. I guess, yeah, you're right. I don't know. I'm not not trying to overthink the Giver, but but it's just a weird oversight to me. Yeah, so if you're trying to preserve your species, like, what would you rather do? Gamble on reproduction or just fucking stick people in a lab? Well, yeah. Um, It's funny because, like, in the anime, they, like, make stronger zoonoids as the series progresses to like fight the giver yeah it's pretty neat so sean you know he's thinking about this 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 werewolf attack and then he has this little i I don't think it's a flashback but it's it's framed like a flashback but it's definitely happening right now where he's talking to misky and let me tell you something like i get that they recast sean but you couldn't get the same metrics for misky for this one fucking scene (laughs) nobody comes back (laughs) Right? Like, what the fuck? Fucking embarrassment, man. Like, come on. But anyway, so she's basically talking to him, and she... Let me tell you something. Misky, I actually liked in the first movie. She was one of the few characters I could tolerate. And in this fucking two-minute scene that she shows up in, she's totally unbearable. She's just a total jerk-off to Sean the entire time. She gets, for lack of a better term, Jane Fostered, where her character gets progressively less interesting over time, and then you see she's like, you're there because you have to be, and then by Thor Ragnarok, it's like, oh, we, we broke up, yes, and she's not here. Get over it. It's funny It's funny you mentioned that, like why she didn't come back, because I'm almost positive while they were filming this, they were filming Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, and she's in that movie. Oh, God. Holy shit. I didn't even think about that. I, I, I try not to remember too much about that movie because it's a fucking nightmare <laughs> and god god you know if the fucking somebody you know whatever god you believe in strike you down if you ever have me watch it for this fucking program <laughs> jesus christ um i i don't think i've ever actually seen that movie in its entirety from from start to finish in one sitting connor we're just gonna forget this conversation ever happened we're never gonna talk about this again oh it's it sucks here's all i remember Tarzan boy. That's it's it. It's really bad. God. Oh, 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 the song. That's all I remember. That song was used in the trailer and at some point in the film, and that's the only thing I fucking remember. So with that nightmare embedded in my brain, um, Misky's just basically like going to Sean. Oh, you know, you, you know, you're going out there and you're killing people, and you know, I thought you said you had this under control, and he's like, oh, the Giver. You know, he kills. I don't kill. It makes me do it. You know, and and she doesn't even try to understand him. Like she clearly is like, you know, the first movie at the end, she's in the fucking lab with him. He's fighting all these goddamn things. You know, she sees Mark <laughs> Hamill got turned into a cockroach, and she's still gonna like give him shit over this. Like, come on, man. She's very not understanding of a man who she watched go through a life experience that no one will ever have. <laughs> no. And she's like kissing his fucking bloody hands at the end of the first one and shit. But she watches his entire existence get uprooted and literally had him get reborn in her bare hand uh, and is like, well, get bent. Like, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Stop killing people. But they're bad people. Was uh, Jimmy Walker just not in this movie because he was on a different mission to assassinate Mitski after, you know, she left all this information, like, without a... Uh... Here's the thing. From, from the first movie to this movie, only Steve Wang directed this one, and none of the originals kind of... Uh, dead on arrival comedy is present. Which is good. There's still some comedy in this film that I feel like just doesn't land at all. But, you know, I joke about uh, bringing back J.J. Walker, but... Honestly, the movie is probably better without him. Yeah, and there's there's a few like comedic lines I do enjoy in this movie, and I'll I'll talk about them when we get there. Um, but other than that, like it's very light on some stupid jokes, and it takes itself seriously, and it's it's 
it I think it's a more competent movie altogether for that. Uh yeah, again, but like as far I don't know what was kept from or in the director's cut or what was cut from it rather but there's just a lot of like vapid scenes in this that I just don't fucking need yeah there's a lot of conversational stuff and people staring at things that don't need to be there yeah just cut it the fuck out please trim this <laughs> not even because it's it's not even part of the fucking story it's just trash like it's just like extra shit like, on the end of the fucking scene. Like, just take it out. I appreciate the existence of a director's cut, and I'll happily sit through any director's cut over uh, a regular cut any day. But not all of them are always in service of the story, and a lot of them are there just so, just so you can see a completed vision of someone's work. Sure. I want to see that fucking Peter Jackson's five-hour cut of the fucking Frighteners. Did you hear about that? I uh, No, I did not. But uh, I am probably one of the only people on Earth who, if someone says, hey, the four-hour cut of Watchmen's on Netflix, I will say, fucking give it to me. <laughs> I, I mean, that is the superior film, let's be real. Well, it's, it's, has, it, it's the complete experience. That is the only way I will recommend watching that movie. Guyver 2, on the other hand, uh, maybe you don't need it. Go, yeah, go with the regular cut. Um, so, Sean, blah, 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 he has this uh, sketchbook that he has been doodling in for a while because he's been having these dreams and seeing these cave drawings, and he's been doodling them in his sketchbook, and he has a wide variety of them. Some of them look like uh, weird little symbols, and other, other them look like crude uh, cave paintings of what maybe a primitive person would draw as a Guyver unit. It's these kind of triangular, ghostly shapes with pointy heads. And after this news broadcast is over, he begins to hitchhike to this uh, archaeological dig that happens, that is occurring near where this alleged werewolf attack happened. Right. You know, he has that conversation with Mitski, and she basically breaks up with him. And he hitches a fucking ride. He has to get the old, you know, thumb out on the side of the road. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this motherfucker's hitchhiking all the way there? Yeah, he doesn't have the fucking scooter anymore, I guess. <laughs> Well, it broke down and Greg stole it. <laughs> yeah. Never to be seen again. No, actually, a fantastic extra sequence would be just like they cut to Greg in the city with John Scooter and he's like, my life sucks. <laughs> I actually thought that was Greg in the beginning because there is a there is a, an Asian man with a red bandana on. That's part of that gang. Yes, yes. He looks just, I'm telling you, he looks like every thug that Charles Bronson has shot indiscriminately. Bronson shows up and he's like, damn it again? <laughs> Somebody beat me to it. Sean hitchhikes, you know, basically all the way from L.A., to Utah, and he kind of gets dropped off on this, like, roadside diner slash convenience store. He gets dropped off with what's basically I refer to as a Stuckies. <laughs> <laughs> he he goes in this place, and there's, like, one guy behind the counter and, like, a few other customers, and I, I forget how it gets to this point, but he has the fucking notebook that Connor was just talking about, and he's talking about how he needs... I, I gotta get up to the archaeological j- dig, uh, you know... I, I really need to get up there, and the guy's just kind of blowing him off, and this uh, this woman in the corner getting groceries just kind of, like, overhears him talking, and it was like, uh, yeah, you know, uh, why do you want to get up there? And she introduces herself as Corey Edwards, uh, and she's one of the archaeologists on the, uh, on the dig. I thoroughly enjoy Corey. She's fine. She looks like fucking Topanga. And I was like, yeah, you look like Topanga. She does, but as the movie goes on, I really start to enjoy her more because she kind of starts as a damsel in distress, and then uh, by the end, she is picking up sledgehammers and hitting people in the face. This is true. So Sean buys a fucking Danish or whatever, and they go outside, and uh, he's like, all right, well, take me to the archaeological dig. And she's like, no, fuck you. And then she gets in her truck and leaves. Well, no, she says, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. She she leaves and comes back, and uh, her accent, her her rich Canadian accent, or wherever she's from, it's got to be from up north, uh, <laughs> slips, and she goes like, she's like, get in the truck now. <laughs> well, she was buying Bud Light, not Molson. <laughs> oh, no, it wasn't Bud Light. It was Bud Dry, because she's got a big fucking 
30 six-pack she hands off to somebody when she gets there. Needs a fucking moose head. There you go. You don't need that much beer to fucking archaeological dig. What do you think is going to go on there? I would have died if they had the fucking Molson and they were just like, Whoa, you know what's in Utah, not Canada, eh? <laughs> <laughs> also, these motherfuckers are in like this deep-ass cave and they're wearing shorts and short sleeves. Like, it's freezing down there. What are you doing? This one character that we get to in a little bit, this guy Bob, is standing there in fucking sandals and a t-shirt. The funny thing is that with uh, with what you just said about the cave, like, that's... It- it's clearly a set, uh, which I thought, which I thought was interesting. It's that this, it's this kind of, it's this big set, uh, or it's it's big looking anyway. It might be just like one main set with several kind of like kind of uh, side shoots. Well, well, you know, they, they they get to the camp and they, you know, they kind of walk around. It just kind of looks like your standard archaeology dig site that you would see in any movie or you know in a National Geographic. And then they go to this cave you guys are talking about, and it's I don't know. It looks pretty cool. It definitely has a little bit of that uh, Joel Schumacher uh, feel to it. You can tell when you're looking around at things, you go, hmm, that's plastic. <laughs> yeah, well, see, that's a, that's a problem I had with it. I was like, everything is just a little too well lit. Like, it could have been a lot moodier in there. Because it looks cool. Like, I'm kind of poking fun of it, but at the same time, I do enjoy the look of it overall. It just looks very fake. Oh, yeah, no, I think, uh, I think in comparison, this movie looks fantastic most of the time because it takes place outdoors in the daytime. Right. Uh, which, like, is such a rare you see in... Because this is technically a superhero film. Yeah. It didn't really happen until, like, Marvel decided to color everything up because, like, the Batman movies are all fucking... They're all at night and a lot of uh, blockbuster CGI, you know... Uh, big boom bang climaxes are at night in the rain or in some kind of uh, setting that will obscure the visuals so it makes it easier to animate or whatever. Yeah, well, they also want to bring the horror element out. Yeah. Right, right. And, you know, and then around that time when, well, actually, what year was Batman around? That was like 99. Oh, that whole movie is lit by neons. (laughs) (laughs) That movie's hideous to look at. Uh, I think Batman Forever is worse in that regard because there's entire scenes lit by black lights. It's just one fucking scene. We already had this conversation, <laughs> goddammit. Forever is superior to Batman and Robin. Oh, totally. But uh, I was actually thinking about it today while watching this movie is that in Dark Knight Rises, when they start lighting up that bat suit he has, God, it looks fucking dumb. Because um, it just looks like he's in this, it's this rinky-dink Batman suit with this big, bulgy, like, kind of silly-looking helmet. I'm like, that suit looks so much better in the dark. It looks cheap. Yeah, it, look, it looks it looks dumb and cheesy, uh, and I would have rather had him his big, fat cowl from the first movie. Uh, it would look way more menacing, but the Guyver suit in daylight looks awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, it's meticulous. Again, Steve Wang's doing the effects, too. Also... That's a big thing with the anime, too. There's a bunch of uh, outside-in-the-woods shenanigans going on. So it was cool to see, like, you know, it, like the translation of it. Yeah. Also, in regards to uh, everybody wearing shorts, what I was going to say is that since this is obviously a set, it probably was a million degrees in there, uh, and maybe everyone had to dress down. Well, yeah, and you consider, you know... And we'll get into this a little bit more as we get further into this movie, but I definitely, you know, I talked about people joking about rubber suits, you know, the monsters look like they're in rubber suits, but in this movie, holy shit, like, I don't know, Joe, maybe you could speak this a little bit more, but I think the effects, besides maybe the Guyver suit, actually look a little worse because they, a lot of the monster effects, while the, the design of them is super cool, they have, like, this weird, like, uh, rubbery gleam going across the entire body of them. Yeah, some of, some of them, I, I think I think my biggest problem, I mean, don't get me wrong, okay? These are awesome, amazing effects. Don't get me wrong. No, yeah. Um, but, like, 
there are instances where you can totally tell, like, they're not structured out right. Right. Whereas, like, the rhino guy that we'll talk about in a little bit, like, you can clearly see, like, when he rolls, like, his whole foam head, like, bends. Right, right. Well, if you you go back and watch any HD release of the Ninja Turtles movie, um, those suits in some sequences look appalling. Also, there's a tiny man inside Donatello's mouth at some point. Uh, it breaks your immersion <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> it's, it's so frightening looking. Just watch the VHS and be happy. Oh, man. It's it's scary as shit. I only bring that I, I'm not trying to jump ahead too much. I'm only bringing that up because we're talking about like you know them wearing shorts. So I can only imagine with these costumes oh, on on top I, of that is just fucking oh, brutal. Yeah. I don't know how they did it. I, I have nothing but respect for everybody in this movie who was confined to any kind of suit. Oh, absolutely. And again, like Connor was saying before, like... The choreography in this movie is way better than the first one. So much better. <laughs> well, especially after Devon's ghost, that definitely uh, oh, helps it for sure. <laughs> you know, I just fucking forgot about that piece of shit. And here we are. Thank you. So Sean gets his dig, and he's kind of guiding around everywhere. And now my thing with this is like, what? because this dig is kind of secretly being run by the Kronos Corporation, and they've seemingly elected a bunch of like, uh, hapless hippies to do the digging for them and uh, Corey Edwards and her father Marcus Edwards who are strong believers in uh, alien life and you know kind of outside of the regular scientific range theories. The preservation of relics of the you know of aliens ancient aliens. They're awfully okay with her just going like hey this is Sean I found him on the road he's gonna help out cool bye. Well she says to him like oh try to be like try not to make yourself like seem I don't know. How do you want to word that? She basically tells Marcus that, like, oh, he was supposed to be here yesterday, but he's part of the crew. Like, he's like a, he's like a, um, he's like a student doing archaeology and is wants to be a part of the crew or what have you. And like, oh, he was late. Here he is, Dad. And he's, he's like, oh, beautiful, nice to meet you. How are you? <laughs> you don't have you don't have a roster, you don't have... <laughs> right? Well, it's fucking Chronos coverage. They don't give a shit. Yeah, their their plan is to shoot these people anyway. You're all gonna die after you find the unit. Thank you. Uh, so we're also introduced to the main bad guy, who is Arlen Crane. Who, by the way, I had no idea that his first name was Arlen. And recently, <laughs> my friend Arlen watched this movie as well and was blown away because he doesn't know anybody with his name. I don't know anybody with his name. And all of a sudden, there it is in this movie. <laughs> and it's the fucking bad guy. Yep. It's a bad guy. Who am I? I, th- I thoroughly enjoy because... Um, uh, Arlen Crane is a villain. He's obviously a fucking zoonoid. Um, and his human form is this totally dweeby, sad-looking, balding, office worker-looking motherfucker uh, who is uh, offensively and suspiciously polite the first few times you meet him, and then just gets slowly more of a prick as the film goes on. I like I like his dynamic because it's like he's not just overbearing bad guy. Like he's literally like you know I want to make this as easy for everybody as possible. <laughs> yes, that's why I like him. He's actually kind of he's more of a character than Kronos was because Kronos basically just shows up in oh, I'm sorry, Zolord. Yeah, in Guyver One, he's like I'm evil for the sake of doing so. Yeah. I mean, but he was, like, overtly domineering, you know? Yeah. And this guy's like, no, I have a job to do. And he kind of has some some kind of subdued motivations because I don't think he enjoys being a zoonoid very much. No, he fucking hates it. That's where I think that dynamic comes in and it makes it good. He hates it. He thinks it sucks. Well, especially since he's got the most cookie-cutter fucking design in the whole movie. Ah, I like his design. He looks like the Predator fucked a fish man. He's my favorite. He looks like he looks like Creature from the Black Lagoon banged a fucking lady predator. That's what it looks like. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just a little too on the nose for me. I don't know. From from a, an effect standpoint, he looks rad as hell. But just in my head, I'm just thinking, like, come on, man. Like, that was so obvious. Well, g- take a wild guess who fucking created the Predator. Steve Wang. And Screaming Mad George. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I guess that kind of makes sense then. So there you go. That's why all the paint schemes and things like that are akin to that to that type of work. So that's why your brain goes right there. Um, And Arlen Green has a bunch of uh, immediately suspicious looking goons who are all hanging out. Yeah, all, all wearing security fucking hats and shirts. Like, this fucking guy with the security hat. What an asshole. Yeah, he's got, he's got the dime store Linda fucking Hamilton working for him. <laughs> This woman sucks so bad. She's easily the worst. I I don't know any other way to fucking describe her. Unfortunately, she just I call her small Nicole Bass. <laughs> okay, yeah. With nowhere near as an aggressive chin. She's this like pesky little uh, character that 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 just stirs the fucking pot, and then she has kind of a cool transformation later in the movie. But other than that, she doesn't do a whole lot. Question mark. I thought hers was the worst. Like, <laughs> uh, I think she's a she's a bad actress too. Like, I like the chick from the first one that turned into like the fucking Griffin thing. Oh yeah, that was way better. I think uh, the difference between this movie's goons and this one and the first one is that like you could lay eyes on the human forms of the zone as the first movie and go, you're bad guys. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then in this movie, like, if you haven't seen it before, you kind of look around and going... I'm not sure who's a human bad guy or who is a zoonoid bad guy. Just from the surface. Well, that was another thing because there was like a the thing, quote unquote, going thing kind of going on. Like who's who's who in this? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, I'm still kind of withholding how I really feel about this movie till we get further in. Maybe even we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll wait till the end of the podcast if there's a fucking miracle. But um, they I will say I really like the aspect of like you have Crane who's kind of clearly like a bad guy with his goons, but there's also uh, Professor Atkins who like for the first probably half two thirds of the movie I wasn't really sold on. Um, I kind of thought he was like secretly another bad guy, and then you know they they give a reveal on that you know two thirds of the movie, and you're like okay. That were actually really works really well. Yeah, but yeah, I I agree. They're trying to fuck with you a little bit here. I like that Adkins is seen primarily being buried in these turtlenecks. Yeah, <laughs> like something gets zipped up all the way to his fucking ears, while everyone around him is in shorts. <laughs> it's like, dude, what are you hiding? Do you have a bunch of like crazy military tattoos or something? Uh, I like this dude. I refer to him as the Creighton Duke of this movie for a bit, except he doesn't uh, die needlessly. Uh, who else? We, we meet a lot of people in the scene. We meet Atkins, we meet Bob, uh, Marcus Edwards, who is Corey's dad, who is the kind of the, the head archaeologist in this. He's a very, very a kindly old man who just wants to get his job done. Come on, guys. We just want to dig this out. Let's just find the discovery in this case. <laughs> he doesn't sound anything like that. So, <laughs> no. Not at all. He kind of sounds like this, actually. When they gave Bob, like, an actual name, I was like, okay, he's going to be important. And then he's just basically like Dr. Harding in Jurassic Park. He's in, like, one other scene. He's a fucking director's cut character. I know they're poisonous, but the animals don't eat him. Bye. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sean's standing there looking at the skeleton like, it looks like Lisker. Fuck. Uh, well, yeah, I think, and this is a, a, an interesting kind of revelation this movie kind of offers, is that there's not, like, 
a zoonoid is not unique to its own form, and I guess there's different strains of them or different different species. Yeah, I, I you know I on, on one hand I was kind of into that idea, and on the other I just felt like it was them saying, "Hey, we have this fucking costume, let's reuse it." Well, we're definitely doing that, but in the anime there are like multiple that look the same. Okay, they're like classes almost. Exactly. Yeah, because they're like this is uh, you know this is zoonoid enzyme, and this is zoonoid you know ripper or whatever the fuck you know what i mean got you got you and even x funny i said that because uh as sean has introduced this little site and they're digging up what looks like you know sean even whispers to him he's like lisker um which he says he says very loudly uh i guess one of the guyver's powers is to like tune out nerds who are talking about dinosaurs (laughs) because he's like looking down at this skull and this guy's like yeah i think it's an archaeopteryx and he just like you know tunes him out yeah and then sean's like cool well see ya after this um Basically, Corey and Sean have been building up this, like, what appears to be slow, but is actually incredibly fast rapport, and it's the end of the day, and they're just kind of, like, bullshitting around, like, on the back of this truck, like it's fucking, like, uh, dazed and confused or some shit, you know, and uh, it just kind of turns into a romantic comedy for, like, a minute or two while these two just flirt with each other. Or, you know, I should I should correct that. While Corey flirts with Sean and he just doesn't pick up on it at all. And Careless Whisper starts playing in the background. <laughs> it's a weird scene. Like, they have this... I don't think it really works in the movie, but they have this love story that they keep pushing up until, like, the end. I feel like the one in the first movie was a lot more natural, whereas here it's just like, well, we need this character to do something besides research this fucking Guyver bones thing that which is already pretty cool instead she's just gonna be this guy's side piece it, it's fucking kind of stupid yeah start like i said she starts that way but then actually begins to do more things like actually physically do more things i don't want to put the cart before the horse because she does do some cool shit at the end but i just feel like her character could have been totally removed from this movie well i think lots of characters could be excised but i don't agree with that one so yeah they're having a conversation in the truck and is this where the screaming starts yeah there's uh the fat dude from the the fat redneck guy from the uh, news report has like another reporter guy that has like a camera. He's like, come on, I'm gonna show you a goddamn werewolf. <laughs> yeah, he brings fucking Don Lemon with him, and Don Lemon's like, I don't think I should be out here. <laughs> he looks like Aries Spears. So they go out there, and he's like, look, I'm gonna show you a werewolf. And um, Reinemann, did he throw Chum out? Like, how did he fucking coax this guy to come out? I don't know. See, that's the thing. Oh no, 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 no. They they drop a line about why this is happening. It's because. This crazy drunkman uh, is like, werewolf killed my brother, and so he wanders back on the campsite. Oh, well, no, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, like, why does this dude just decide, like, I'm going to attack them because, fuck it, I killed the guy's brother, I might as well just finish the job? Like, what's the point? He says, you shouldn't have come back here. He's, he's keeping the area secure. He's keeping these idiot locals off the property. Uh, okay, okay. Right. So this guy is like a, uh, this zoonoid's like a shark porcupine rhino. I don't know what the fuck it is, but I love it. Um, and I love the fact that it meows. Oh, God. I hated that. It's a fucking, like, ox, uh, or not an ox, like a bull uh, yell, or whatever you'd call that. A bull. Well, it's like, it's like uh, it reminded me of the fucking screaming, screeching sound the monster in the closet made when it opened its mouth. Sort of. It's, like it's like a bull mixed with a cat. Yowl? Yeah, it's weird. It's got to be some kind of public domain thing, because, or at least like royalty-free sound effect, because 
in one of my favorite Mr. Science Theater episodes, Werewolf. Um, the uh, the titular Warwolf, uh, whenever it roars, it also has a this strange meow happening in the background. <laughs> yeah. And even the robots are like, what is it, a bear, a cat, a bat? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> when, he's in, when he's in the woods? Yeah. That one scene where he's in the woods? <laughs> Fucking great. And it's going meow, 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 meow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Joe Estevez shoots it and leaves the movie. Yep. <laughs> So, you know, this 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 guy is basically under attack from the Zoonoid. And meanwhile, Sean and uh, Corey are having this conversation basically where he won't tell her why he is there. Like, he doesn't want to admit that, well, it's because I have this Guyver unit in me, which, okay, fair enough. I've got an alien booger armor inside my neck. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they hear this screaming, and they fucking... I guess Sean runs off. He's like, oh, it might be a bear. I'll stop it. Sean goes, oh, another bear attack. I'll take care of the bear. You go get help. And Corey's like, right. And then takes a few steps and goes, hold on. Take care of the... What are you going to (laughs) do? Slam cut to the fucking photographer getting his head cut in fucking half. This dude gets his head scooped clean off. Oh, yeah. It's fucking sick. It is glorious. Um, And it's a perfect little slice. It's awesome. (laughs) It's beautiful. And then he goes for the uh, redneck drunkman and and, uh, Sean transforms. And now this is cool because instead of just like yelling in the first movie... It goes back to the anime again, and, and, you know, he actually says Giver, and when he yells Giver, the fucking armor comes out, which isn't as cool as the first movie, so points off for that one. Well, this movie, this movie kind of takes a few, and, like, the shortcuts that I understand, because, one, they probably had to conserve their budget, probably less of a budget, um, because, one, like, they were probably like, we got a sequel? Holy fuck, we're doing a sequel. Um, and we're probably trying to consciously spend their money. So a lot of it is done with uh, like minimal CGI, uh, and uh, they cut corners by having Sean like, walk behind something that obscures, his vision, obscures your vision and you hear the suit retracting. I didn't mind that. Yeah, which actually, some of them are pretty cool. Like the tree was cool with the... That we'll talk about in a second. It gets a little old towards the end of the movie, but I totally get why they did it, and I'm mostly okay with it. Also, like, they had other... They had new monsters they were introducing, so I guess they were like, well, anything we've seen before, we'll just kind of do quickly. Yeah, and I I mean, they kind of did that in the first movie, too. If you remember, there's, like, the scene where the two CIA agents walk in, and they come out of the shadows, and they're in zoonoid form. So it's... There's some precedent for this. Exactly. Uh, So Sean... Runs up to this thing, and they ha- we have our first uh, Guyver Zonoid skirmish, and uh, holy shit, the choreography in this movie is incredible. Yeah, it's it's really good. Every fight sequence is infinitely better than the first one. Uh, these two have a brawl, which uh, has lots of really cool kung fu stuff. Guy Sean backflips up a tree at some point. The Zonoid like, rips a tree down and, like... Oh, that's my favorite moment in this fight, because Sean goes, What are you doing here? And instead of answering him, the Zonoid's like, I'm just gonna hit you with this tree. Yeah, well, he's like, I killed all of you. Why are you still here? Well, he tries to hit him with it, and Sean, like, he does these, like, 450 fucking uh, point spins in the air, like, multiple times in this movie, and he does this jumping spin, and he lands on this fucking log as, like, it's, as the guy's charging at him, and he accidentally hits, like, another tree, and he's, like, stunned for a second, and he does this awesome fucking ninja run on this, yeah, on this log, really and cool. just kicks this guy in the fucking face. It's awesome. And he goes flying. Oh, people, f- that's one of my favorite things about the fight sequence this is that people are hit violently and then they just fly into something and eat shit uh and it's filmed you can see everything it's in slow motion there's dust and dirt blood and whatever flying everywhere and this fight doesn't really have an ending as they kind of get to a stalemate sean cuts a piece of his face off kind of he kind of i think he slashes him in like 
right above one of his eyes, right? Yeah, it like takes a piece off of him. It doesn't get a good chunk out of him. Uh, and then the fight kind of ends because uh, Corey and Help have arrived. So Zoonoid runs off. Guyver doesn't let uh, Sean kind of takes his eyes off for a second, looks back, and this Zoonoid has seemingly teleported into non-existence. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how you lose a big uh, beetle rhino shark. I don't know. Screeching and fucking yelling all the <laughs> over the place. <laughs> then Sean just loses object permanence and just decides <laughs> to lose the fucking transformation right in front of this guy who's on the ground, like, pissing his pants. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Oh, Sean, Sean's, con- Sean's concept of a low profile was very... um. Uh, it could use work. I think he already made the decision like this. Nobody's going to believe this fucking yokel that he saw a giant rhino man. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so he was like, eh, whatever. <laughs> Fuck it. I, I saw you on the news rag. No one's going to listen to you. <laughs> yeah. Everybody thinks you're a fucking moron. <laughs> so the rest of them run up and the guy's like pointing at Sean like, oh, you're one of them. He's one of them. And immediately gets shut down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Corey's, like, looking at Sean, but doesn't really believe the guy, but there's, like, something there. She's not totally sure how she feels. Meanwhile, Atkins, he's got, like, a fucking rifle, and he's, like, leaning down, and he starts, like, ruffling around in the dirt, and he just finds this uh, piece of skin that you guys mentioned. Yeah, it's, like, it's like whatever piece that Sean cut off, Atkins fought. I, I fucking love Atkins, because Atkins is, like, the one who's, like, yeah, you came here to fight a bear, right? Funny. <laughs> Yeah, and then he fucking he just like he just like picks up this piece of skin and just bloop puts it right in his fucking front pocket. You can hear it squelch. It goes like, <laughs> like I'm like, ew. Save that guy for later. Imagine if this was Tix and that was just like one of those pods he stuck in his fucking pocket and then later in the movie he's just like got all these things all over him. We should do Tix. I'm infested. We should do Tix. I love Tix. I love Tix. <laughs> I love I love how Atkins is like Oh, yeah, well, this guy's all right. Give me a blanket. Then he's like, all right, let's wrap this other fuck up and throw him in the car. And I'm like, I know. No, you can't just do that. Why are we? Why is everybody always trying to fucking pick up these dead bodies? Like, leave them there and call the cops. I like how the running theme of the movies you watch is that, like, people just have no care for corpse disposal. No, they're like, oh, well, he's he's passed on. Wrap him up. <laughs> wrap him up in this 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 uh, this quilt and put him in the Jeep. This quilt that clearly came from someone's sleeping bag and just wrap him up. <laughs> Do they have, like, a separate one for the other half of his fucking head? Dude, some, one of those poor fucking, uh, volunteers can come out of the cave and go, Anybody see my blanket? <laughs> hey! <laughs> Atkins is like, don't ask about it ever again. Don't you worry about that fucking blanket. He's like, but sir, he just loads his gun, <laughs> just cocks it. <laughs> okay. He breaks his finger, because he's Creighton Duke. Uh, Atkins basically corners Sean on the way back and gets in his face with a gun, as I just mentioned. Um, and it's just like, yeah, you know, cut the fucking act. Like, yeah, you know, I know that you weren't, you know, here after a bear. Like, I know basically implying that he knows more than Sean, that Sean realizes. And I want to say they get broken up somehow. I think Corey walks up or something. I think it's Crane and, um, one of the goons walk up. And, uh, Crane's still got his really nice guy act going on. Uh, and, uh... Atkins is like, he says, like, uh, you know, where are your claws, Sean? He's like, it's not my claws you should be worried about. Um, kind of inferring that Sean might have a dark side and something else is going on. Because rightfully so, he questions the fact that a man would run up to a bear attack unarmed and leave unscathed. Oh, yeah, he says something like, is this your, he's like, it's your, is this your claws? And he's like, that's not my claws. And he's like, well, whose claw is it? And, and then he's like, doesn't say anything. He's like, yeah, that's what I thought. What the fuck's going on? Yeah, he's like, that was a very weird response. Like, you do realize that, right? And Sean's like, uh, I guess you're right. Sean's like, I'm not good at this. <laughs> so here's the deal. Kronos, monsters, 
And that's it. He's like fucking Peter from Homecoming. He just doesn't know how to handle an interrogation. No, not at all. <laughs> so, but then, like, this is where they kind of, like, oddly, like, start to team up, kind of. Yeah, because they still, like, both of them have weird feelings about uh, Crane, um, who uh, is, like I said, still giving off his, oh, I'm just a kind scientist who's trying to do a job here. Let's, we don't need to have any more corpses. Please go back to the campsite. Everything's fine. I think Sean recognizes, even though Atkins has a gun in his face, that Crane is the actual problem. So he could have easily just been like, yeah, dude, there's nothing wrong with Atkins. He just pulled a fucking gun on me. And, like, it could have gone a totally different direction. But instead, he's like, oh, no, no, it's cool. We're, we're good. Which is the smartest thing he could have done. Yeah, but Atkins straight up tells him that like he's investigating the Kronos Corporation and he needs to know more about it, doesn't he? Right, yeah, he does. He says, I'm government and blah, 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 and like, don't let it get out, you know. Oh, okay, that's right. He's, he brings up, he's like, he's like, don't bullshit me. He's like, you dated Miski Sagawa. He's like, who was, who was, who had a father who worked for the Kronos Corporation who ended up dead. He's like, you were directly involved. He's like, you need to tell me exactly what you need to know right now. Which is, again, the reason why I like Atkins, because Atkins is the guy who's, the, who's there to ask questions. And Sean's, Sean's just like, you'll never believe but Max Reed got turned into a giant cockroach, <laughs> yeah. and then I, I fucking blew up a giant dragon, you know, moose thing. <laughs> he's like, he's like, hold on, hold on, go backwards. Who the fuck is Max Reed? <laughs> he's the best cop on the force. Yeah, best cop with the force. Ha! Oh fuck! I quit the show now. It's the best joke I'll ever tell. Well, see ya. <laughs> you made 25 episodes, Connor. Well, you know, 24 and a half. Good enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I've quit Phantom Zone for jokes that way about 10 times. I opened a show saying my butthole burns once, and everyone was very mad at me for the duration of the episode. Oh, man. Well, now that's a thing in this one. <laughs> Actually, it's funny you mentioned that, because Arlen and Hunter are recording an episode of Monster Mash right now. So then we cut to Crane, and he... This is the first look at um what i assume is another zoa lord it's gotta be because like it doesn't look anything like david gale and there would be no reason to imply that he survived what happened to him at the end of the first movie no of course not like he was blown to pieces yeah well that's a that's another thing uh, i know i'm going to keep referencing the anime just because i want to just draw these parallels um but there is a character in that, which I'm not sure if that's supposed to be who David Gale is in the movie, but um, there's another guy that's way more akin to this guy and, like, talking to him through this, like, little TV thing. And, okay, so earlier in the episode, I brought up Guyver 3, which is just the third Guyver in the anime series, um, like the person. There's a lot of kind of that going on too like this crane character like a lot of that's like wrapped up in there okay um and again we'll, well i'll keep going into it a little bit later because i don't want to reveal that yet but um it's just very there's a lot of anime beats in the movie yeah there's also a bit of like you get kind of an idea of how chronos is a bit like they kind of seem like the umbrella corporation like they it, destroying one building doesn't doesn't destroy the company like you just cut off one head that's and it has many heads and another will grow in its place um because they, they say like he destroyed the he destroyed the los angeles branch right so there are multiples yeah they're all it's all over the world it's international yeah worldwide wide 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 you would think if the zoonoids you know came to earth an eon ago and, and made humankind and you know Subplanted these uh, zoonoids throughout the entire world. It's not going to just all come crashing down because you blew up a facility in fucking L.A. <laughs> They're like, damn it, we put all of our e- we put all of our eggs in Los Angeles. Wouldn't these fucking things have taken over the Earth already? We're talking about eons ago. These motherfuckers arrived. Why is it taking so long for them to dominate the Earth? I feel like it's almost like a they live situation where they're just biding their time and they're just they would rather do it slowly and like incorporate themselves in society until they're ready. It's more like Hydra where they they 
instead of being this very glaring and obvious domineering global threat, they have infiltrated every major force on the planet and can just basically manipulate events to their liking. You're actually... Yeah, you're right. Because like, Hydra, they, like Zola says in, in Winter Soldier, he says, like, we've basically been writing history since the end of World War II. Like, every major global event has, has we've had something to do with. I mean, I'm not saying that, Zola, that, that Kronos is as competent in Hydra as Hydra is, because they're not. But, <laughs> but their philosophies are kind of the same. No, but that's totally right. Again, because, like, the anime, I think... Um the main bad guy says that he's like he's like yeah we're gonna put them all over the place and then uh one day we're just gonna set it off and uh fucking kill everything and then that's gonna be it and then we'll rule the world bye yeah david gale's gonna go on a fucking microphone go i begin order 66 there thank you (laughs) it's it's order 65 ah you know yeah why not doesn't want to be exactly like star wars palpatine's next to him going like don't steal my stuff I am the Senate. Meanwhile, he's over on the side with this fucking toaster. Fucking, if Ian McDermott was in one of these movies, I would lose my mind. Imagine, oh, <laughs> Guyver 3? Yeah, after this movie, I don't think Guyver 3 is ever going to happen. No, but that'd be sick, though. I don't know. I'd watch it. I'd give it a shot. I'd watch the fuck out of it. I would watch the fuck out of a, guy, a third Guyver movie. Are you kidding me? Bring Mark Hamill back. They just recast everybody again. Yeah, just, except Mark Hamill. You have him come back and just have him just play a different character. And someone's like, aren't you related? And he goes, no. So, uh... Sean is like sleeping in like a barrack and he starts to have like another fever dream and he we find out that he the the suit within him is interacting with something that's in the this uh dig site this cave system and something like boulders out of like one of the canyon walls or the the cave walls and then he wakes up and then um another archaeologist like comes in and she's like hey what's this fucking thing on the wall and she like scrapes it away and she she's like it feels like leather and it's soft but it's hard like a metal oh my god it's alien shit and then she called some what's his name marcus yeah yeah marcus comes over and he's like oh my god i think you found it and then in the matter of like five minutes they have unearthed this entire spaceship in this cave yeah it looks like one of the spaceships from fucking code heads it does it's very egg-shaped with a few interesting little pieces onto it well you don't you don't see a full version of what these ships look like to lay in the movie but what you can see now is just this kind of this uh, this gross looking dome yeah so they find this ship and they're so that night they like celebrate and they have like a big party or whatever yeah they put the low rider on yeah <laughs> Fucking Norm's in the background. We didn't know you were in this film, Norm. Eh, you know, I just pop up occasionally. It's like all your goddamn equipment woke me up. (laughs) Fucking Norm's like the head digger. He's like, that's how they got it undone so quickly. They're like, ah, Norm, get on the job. He fucking clocks in. The fucking Kronos Corporation's holding the Lumen hostage. They're like, nah, you fucking, you dig for us, you little shit. Oh my god, I got dark real fast. Uh, John Hurt drove him there in his talking car. (laughs) He drops him off. What happened was I left the Giver ship there <laughs> 500 years ago. I made the Zoonoids. I also shook hands with the aliens and told them it's a good idea. I made the two warring factors go to war. Did you ever see the Men in Black? It was based on my life story. I'm a very irresponsible time traveler. <laughs> Fuck it. Here's some alien bio booster armor. I don't care. He takes his fucking Mary Shelley's Frankenstein book and just throws all the pages in the air. <laughs> 
I'm waiting for the fucking Frankenstein Unbound, like, Saturday morning, like, cartoon. And it's just basically, like, John Hurt. You know, it's drawn like a, it's drawn like the magic school oh bus. He's, like, talking to the camera. Holy He's like, shit. on today's adventure, we go back to Los Angeles again. I know we've been there before, but there's many, many characters we need to visit. Today we're going to Utah. It's like Doctor Who, but he just fucks up everything he touches. <laughs> He get he gets to yesterday's target and it's like Daniel Baldwin looks at him. He's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" He's like, oh, "I have a script for you, Mister Baldwin. I know how this plays out. Here you go." I that's why we can't figure out where Zoonoids came from because he keeps fucking with it. <laughs> you know, he's <laughs> like, "I created them." Well, they've been they've always been here, but they're sort of an alien race, but not really. The timeline changes ten times within fifteen minutes because John Hurt just can't stop recklessly <laughs> fucking with time and space. <laughs> Meanwhile, the actual Doctor from Doctor Who is like just chasing the TARDIS. Like, I will fucking get you. <laughs> Yeah, John Hurt is fucking Flash, and uh, the Doctor is the bullet. You know what's funny is that John Hurt has played the Doctor in Doctor Who at some point, so... He played him in, like, one of the anniversary episodes, too, didn't he? He played him in the Day of the Doctor. He played the War Doctor. He was the ma- he was the version of the Doctor who refused to call himself the Doctor because that was the one who committed genocide against the Daleks. Gotcha. I fucking love Doctor Who, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so they're having a party, whatever, they're celebrating the fact that they found this ship, and Corey and Sean are, are down by the spaceship, and they're talking, and... Nothing. See, this is one of those scenes where, like, nothing really comes out of this scene except, hey, wanna fuck? And then Careless Whisper kicks up again. This is pretty much the stuff in this movie I'm willing to criticize the most, is that this kind of long stretch between the first time we... Well, no, the second time we see Sean in the Giver suit and the third time, because that's when the movie takes a much-needed pickup and pace. Most of the middle stretch of this movie is people walking down hallways... Uh, looking at things, talking about things, or staring at each other. But it's nonsense. Like, it's not even plot-driven, like, at all. Yeah, and the stuff that needs to be there is mostly around Sean, because he's being called into this ship by uh, this, like, alien AI that's still alive on this fucking ship. Oh, God. Right. I thought that was fine. Y- you know, it, I-, I hated that. Really? I thought it was kind of cool that it, because the whole reason that Sean is attracted to this site and he keeps like freaking out, um, having these crazy dreams is because this ship is calling him to kind of, um, actually, I don't know what it's doing. It's trying to, it's, he's been asking it, what, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? But he says, I don't understand because this thing is just doing like full peanuts adults at him. It's going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So I don't want to jump ahead too quickly, but you know. I say that Corey could be excised from this film and it would be fine. I mean, I'm kind of exaggerating a point because I like her as a character, but just the way she ends up at the end of the movie was disappointing to me. And this plot line of this uh, this AI or spaceship or whatever the fuck he's talking to, it, it has a payoff, but it just takes so long to get there that I just did not give a shit by the time it got there. Yeah. The visual payoff is awesome, and I will say why when we get there, because there's a lot of money and resources dumped into one particular moment that I'm really impressed with. Yeah, but on the whole, it's kind of like half-baked. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, it seems like something they really wanted to do and probably had to cut or shorten a lot of it. Yeah, but why isn't that in the director's cut? (laughs) Exactly. Well, they're probably... I mean, like... Like I said, they had to probably manage where their money was going and probably couldn't do anything more with, with a lot of this stuff they had envisioned. They, I, I don't think these people had a lot of time or, or or money to really play in this universe that they were trying to set up. Oh, I believe that 100%. Yeah. So, and like I said, we have a, we're about to break down a long stretch of just talking. Um, yeah, so now we're trying to open up this fucking ship and um, security guy or whatever the fuck his name is is trying to 
open it with a blowtorch and the fucking thing's like not even getting hot. And he's like, anybody else got any fucking suggestions? And uh, what's his name? Maurice? Marcus. Marcus. Marcus is like, what do you want me to say? Open sesame? And then the fucking thing opens, but Sean likes... It's responding to Sean, who... It's responding to Sean, yeah. Who is lucky that a butthole opens in the wall because he's having a fit. Wait. What? Yeah. Oh, my fucking God. I didn't even catch that at all. I just... He says open sesame and a fucking portal opens on the side of this ship, and I'm like, okay, that's where we're going with this? Sure, okay. No, it's because, like, during this whole sequence, like, Sean starts feeling the suit, like, pulsate in his neck, and he knows something's wrong. He's trying to, like, maintain his composure, um, but this... The ship is likely reacting to his presence. Right. No, I I remember that scene before that, where they're just, like, basically in a huddle watching this guy with the blowtorch, but I did not make that connection at all until you just said that i just assumed it was some really bad fucking joke where this guy says open sesame and it just happens to work and i'm just like okay movie sure okay they cut back to sean and you see him like like writhing kind of like like he's having an interaction with the ship and that's why it's opening i i feel like that's very poorly explained because i did not pick up on that at all i couldn't i i agree some of the editing in this movie is very bad. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that maybe I just missed it, but uh, to me, I did not get that at all. Just real quick, like, some of these scenes are so criminally out of focus. <laughs> like, the background's in focus, and the characters are out of focus, and I'm like, where the fuck was your eyes on this? What, do you got astigmatism or something? Well, because we're watching a director's cut, and I haven't seen the, the regular cut in a long time, like, what if that was stuff that was left in the cutting room floor and not properly finished? Like, you know how you can go back and, like, because it was out of focus? Maybe. Or, like, maybe how you know you can go back and watch, like, before or the special edition, like, actually, even during the special edition of Star Wars, like, you can watch certain sequences and go, hmm, yeah, this wasn't supposed to be here. Well, yeah, no, I get what you're saying, but, like, it seemed like there was beats that, like, needed to be there that were out of focus, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. I think most of them were at night, though, so, I mean, I get it, it's hard to, it's hard to, to do it at night. I guess. Or something. <laughs> or whatever. So, that you know, they all go into the ship. Uh, first, Marcus goes in with, like, a radiation suit on, and he kind of just meanders around in there for, like, five minutes. And he comes out, and he's like, ah, you know, uh, we can go in there without suits on. It's fine. Fuck it. Hey, hey, he's fucking smarter than the people in Prometheus and Covenant who land on a fucking alien planet, and someone goes like, I'm gonna take my helmet off. Yeah, there's some Prometheus shit going down at the end of this movie, but go ahead. Um, So, yeah, so they, they all basically walk in, you know, free reign. No one's really, like paying attention to each other, and again, Sean just wanders off in this alien spaceship on his own, and he comes across this fucking Cerebro room, and I also have to note, this entire ship looks like the sewer area from the Mario Brothers movie with this fucking fungus growing all over the place. It's got an alien vibe, but, like, everything's connected via, like, a a weird mucus membrane or, like, a tendon or something. I like it because it's... One of my favorite things about these movies is that they are unapologetically disgusting. Um, and everything in this ship looks like I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Sean, I thought the same thing like fucking Mario Brothers. Like, Luigi, you're talking to the fungus in the shower. Oh, yeah. Trust the fungus, Luigi. You gotta trust the fungus. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I call it like a Cerebro room, which is maybe not a totally fair comparison. But it, it's a circular room with a little walkway into the center. 
and then some shit goes on later on in that particular spot, but... Yeah. It's the room where Vader convenes with Palpatine. Sorta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He walks into a big ring and kneels down. It reminds me of um, Invaders from Mars, the remake, the Toby Hooper remake. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When the kid goes into the ship, except everything's orange, and in this one, everything's, like, purple. Yeah. I don't know, it's cool. Looks like big fucking mother brain or something. Right, right, right. No, I could see that. And there's, like, a big old, like, Giver face. It kind of looks like it has multiple sets of eyes, but the main thing you can tell is that it has the orb in the center yeah the sphere right which i get what they're going for here but to me like it just doesn't work it's just basically sean for like a minute straight talking to this light on this like weird fucking showerhead looking contraption and just like kind of having a one-on-one dialogue like i guess he's talking to it in his head or it's not really clear if it's answering it's audible what it's saying but it's it's garbled nonsense and he can't understand it but they're not very clear that he can't actually understand it he's saying i don't understand like as if he's misinterpreting what it's saying to him not i don't understand because you're not speaking my fucking language see like i took it as he's asking this thing questions and it's just not answering him so he's jumping to conclusions based on the non-answer that's the way i took it it's a conversation but it's not very well done because it's just like i said and the the noise that the ship is making is for some reason unlike a much lighter like track like, it's not coming through as clear as it should be. Right, see, because I, I watched this on my laptop, but I had the volume up all the way, and I didn't hear a fucking peep out of this thing. It just sounded like silence to me. It's a garbled, like, thing that's kind of going on in the background. It sounds like if you if if you, if you you hear it and aren't really following what's going on, it just sounds like ambient noise. Yeah, right. I don't know why it took him so fucking long to figure out to put the goddamn Giver suit on to interact with this thing. I know. Yeah, th- and that's why, that's why he doesn't understand this thing, is because he doesn't have the suit on, so it can't can't properly convey the information it needs to because it's two different biological well it's it's one different well i guess it's because the everything about the guyver units is it's everything's biological so the ship is alive so that means it's talking to a different entity and they don't speak the same language yeah but it, but it's it's looking for the it's looking for the sphere in his head you know what i mean yeah yeah right like the key so it, it's like sorry can't help you <laughs> Your fucking barcode's not on. What are you doing? I can't scan you. This scene definitely exists, though, purely for a bunch of other shit to happen. Like, um, you know, they get called out of the ship for whatever reason, and basically Sean runs out, and you see Linda Hamilton under the fucking stairs. I don't know how she even got under there uh, without him noticing. So stupid. Yeah, well, in his earlier scene, Crane pulls her over because they split up when looking. Marcus is like, hey, I'm going to go this way. Corey and Sean, you go that way. Uh, he's like, you two rapscallions, get out of here. Um, and uh, Crane and his obvious group of goons uh, all go in a different direction, and he pulls her over and whispers something, and that's when she kind of departs, and I'm assuming you're, she's just being told to go follow Sean because... Crane is uh, Crane is, is on to him almost immediately. And he's like, the Giver's here, I'm just not sure who it is. Exactly. So she fucking goes and she blows the whistle on Sean to Crane. Oh, this actually leads to one of my favorite scenes because uh, this, I think it happens maybe a moment or two later. Uh, Sean is kind of by himself and Crane corners him and they have a conversation. Wait, does this, does this happen now or does this happen a little later? I think this happens now. I mean, you're skipping over some shit, but it definitely happens relatively soon. This happens before Corey gets kidnapped, right? It happens after she gets thrown in the Jeep. Like, you're jumping ahead a little too much. Oh, that's right, because, okay, yeah, because Sean gets knocked out by Linda Hamilton. Corey's pissed off because she finds the Giver unit, the another Giver unit, and it's broken. Yeah, it's busted. The center orb is, is fractured, so right away you're like, eee, 
I wouldn't fuck with that. You don't don't put that on there. Don't don't touch that. Which is funny because like I it it just speaks to like movie scientists who would just reach into whatever the fuck and grab this thing that's completely alien is never seen before. Yeah, she's got no, no gloves, gloves on or anything. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, like she's not even like one of the zoonoids, so like she has no idea what this fucking thing is, and it's all stringy and fucking gross. Yeah, she just she just picks it up because it reacted to her, but it's also covered in like disgusting red algae gross nonsense and she just like brushes away she's like yeah we don't need that whatever just like <laughs> fucking bare fucking hands yeah fuck it and she's like hey dad i found this thing and he's like oh, i told you not to touch anything and then uh crane crane flips a fucking switch and just goes from from kindly uh man's financial support in the dig to fucking shithead in a heartbeat. Yeah, and just fucking swipes the uh, Giver unit away from her and she freaks out. He's like, okay, thanks, that's what we're here for, bye. Yeah, and then Sean's like, oh, what's that screaming about? Because she's like yelling at Crane and uh, he comes running up and basically she's yelling at Crane like, hey, what the fuck, like, you know, we did all this work for you and he's like, yeah, I know, I can do whatever the fuck I want and this is what we were looking for, so fuck off. And, uh, her dad and Sean are just like, yeah, just let it go. And she's like, what the fuck's wrong with you guys? He's taking the thing. And he's like, you don't understand. He's a fucking monster. Right. And, you know, Sean recognizes the Giver unit. And, like, he can't really say anything because he's immediately going to out himself. Oh, Sean's having a fucking thunderstorm in his head and probably shitting his pants because he's like, oh, fuck, there's two of them? <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's just funny to me because before he just transforms all willy-nilly and now that, like, shit's going down, he just, like, holds back and is, like, waiting around for his moment. His butthole clenches the moment he sees a second Giver unit because that's trouble. Yeah. I don't know why he just didn't take it right then and there, but whatever. Imagine he put on a second suit. Like, <laughs> Oh, my God. He Giver'd, like, Giverception. He's a Giver Giver. He's a Giver Giver. And the guy, I'm Giver times two. <laughs> I'm Giver two. Giver, I'm Giver squared. Giver squared. <laughs> So while uh while Crane's cronies giving him the rundown about Sean, uh, meanwhile Sean is talking to Corey and he and he basically is like, okay, you know before I wouldn't explain to you why I'm here, but now I'm going to, and he lays it all out. He's like, you know, there's these guys called the Zoonoids, and I destroyed the Kronos Corporation, which was you know in charge of them, and they're bad dudes, and they can turn into monsters, yada yada. And she basically just looks at him like he's fucking totally crazy, doesn't believe him at all. Well, first she goes, I don't give a shit who they are. She's like, they stole our stuff. Yeah, she's so she's so worried about writing her fucking master thesis. She doesn't even give a shit. She's like, I found that old thing and it means something and I want to be famous for it. She's, she's like, I stopped listening when you said zuh. <laughs> So while this is all going on, it, like the camera like pans over and you see this little uh, microphone bug, and Atkins is listening to the whole fucking thing, and I'm like, really? Oh God! Well, it's like a series of eavesdropping. You have the the woman listening to Sean, then you have uh, this scene right here, and you have him eavesdropping, and then the next scene is Corey running off to go talk to basically confront Crane about this accusation she's been hearing and then she's the fucking eavesdropping on his conversation. Yep, and then she gets taken uh by uh uh Rhino Man in his human form and he comes in and he's like, "What do you want me to do with it, Dr. Crane? I think we have a problem." And so they like throw her in a jeep and I don't know where the fuck they're. I guess they're taking her to go shoot her in the woods somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of weird. It's which is which is super fucked up when I think about it. Because I'm like, you you have her her father like as one of your right hand dudes. Like that's not gonna go over well. Yeah, we don't even know that yet. And then you like see him like 
load the, her into the car, and then he, like, ducks behind a building? And then I'm like, okay. And I'm like, okay, this guy's definitely a zoonoid. Yeah, like, he witnesses it happen, but he doesn't do anything. Right. So, um, they're driving down this road, and the fucking car stalls. And uh, they're like, what the fuck? The car's broken. And all of a sudden, fucking Daddy Zoidberg comes, like, <laughs> right over the front of the car. And starts shaking the shit out of it. And he's like, you girl, get out of the black suit. Get out of the street, but run away. I do like his design, though. Almost on cue, she goes, Dad? Well, no, because uh, what does he do that um that gives it away? Does he say something that, like, gives it away? Somebody says something to... Oh, that's right, because... He, okay, he, he grabs the car, tells Cora to get out. And, like, this is kind of one of my favorite stretches of action, because, for like, they opted to not use music for some reason for a lot of this. And so it's just sound effects and visuals, and he grabs his car and flips it upside down with these two assholes in it. And then they start to transform from within the vehicle, and instead of doing, like, the quick they walk behind something and transform, you just see from outside the vehicle, and they're they're violently changing, and they're, like, punching the inside of the vehicle and denting it from the outside, and then it's just kind of silence. And then the two of them burst up from the bottom of the vehicle and jump down in front of them to fight them. It's pretty cool. <laughs> one of them says, like, you shouldn't have gotten involved, Marcus, and that's how she knows it's him. Oh, okay. Right, right. And one, one of them one of them is Rhino Head, and the other one's, like, this bug-looking guy. Yeah, he looks like fucking Kamakaris. With large, long, sharp pinkies that kind of flippity-flop everywhere. <laughs> Mantis, man. It's, he's revolting. That's the point. They, they start beating the shit out of Marcus, and then you cut back to the scene you guys started talking about earlier where... Sean is in the cave. Like, he gets, like, a pulse in his head that he's got to go there. And uh, he's in there, and Crane kind of comes up behind him and starts chatting him up. I love this scene because, like, Crane is... He's a cool villain because he walks up, and having this information he got from uh, Dime Store Linda Hamilton, he just starts kind of... He starts kissing his ass. And he walks up and just, like, with no pretenses, is like... Hey, guess what? I know what you are, and you know what I am, and our lives suck. Yeah, he he plays the whole empathy thing. Yeah, he's like, I know exactly what you're going through, and you kind of have an idea of it. Um, and Sean's like, whatever, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to go call Otacon and talk about love on the battlefield. <laughs> Here's my question for you guys. Do you think he actually legitimately like hates being a... Uh... A zoonoid? I almost said zaphanoid. Um, <laughs> or, or do you think he is just saying that to try to rope Sean into like a sense of vulnerability and then just kill him while he's not like paying attention? Like, what do you? What was your guys' read on that? Possibly both, because I think the concept of living as a secret monster is pretty terrible, regardless of who your boss is. Because I can't imagine Crane is very well off, despite being a fishman. Yeah, I think it could go both ways. Only because, like, it feels like Crane is sort of a tortured guy, and he doesn't say to Sean... He doesn't lure him into, necessarily, uh, a state of vulnerability, because he's like, yeah, you know, I don't want to be a fish, man. Don't, you don't want to be the Giver, so then, like... Because, well, he's, he comes out and says, he's like, look at me, I'm disgusting. Yeah, he, yeah, he's straight up. We get Crane's transformation, which is really cool. There's a shot in here that is... Uh, perfect. Um... He starts to change, and uh, he kind of turns, and, like, his face is half changed, or, like, not half, like, maybe 10% changed, and he kind of gives the camera a nice little roar, and then he whips his head back, and then seemingly, he 
turns his head back towards the camera, and he's got an entirely different phase of his transformation going on. Well, it's like very Hammer Dracula. Yes. Oh, that's yeah, and it's seamless. It's perfect. You there, you really can't find the frame where they change molds or whatever it is. It's very hard to tell. Well, they change makeups, but there's a scene later where he transforms, and it's like really bad CG. Well, yeah, that's because it was one of their shortcuts. And I'm like, motherfucker, why did you do that? <laughs> It's like you've been tre- you've been treating everything so well, and then it's just like. <sighs> Except when I saw that as a child, it blew my mind. Yeah. Well, we were still early on. So I'm like, I'm like that man melted into a fishman. <laughs> the animatronics in this fucking head, though, for for uh, Crane's monster form is so- oh they're bad. Oh man, they're they're awesome. What are you talking about? Every time this guy talks, the first fucking t- couple times he opens the mouth, no words come out. That's not the thing's fault. That's that's just him vamping as a monster. Yeah, that's just fucking whoever, like, dubbed this over. <laughs> Alright, that's fair. That's fair. It does look cool. I'm not trying to pick on it in that sense. You're right. Because I agree with Joe in the sense that, like, he's got those two front mandibles that are constantly moving. He's got all these things in his head that are kind of all moving and doing stuff. Like, it's got the mouth, it's got the eyes, it's got very, very large eyelids and eyebrows that are emoting and moving. I think that's what took me, Lee. The eyes are very extreme, and I, I like it. Yes, they're, ve- they're the eyes are very expressive, which is something you don't get out of anybody else's monster form in either movies, because you can't really see their faces. Right. I mean, it's there, don't get me wrong, like, Lisker has that, but it's just... Yeah, and I think Lisker is, is assisted by the fact that Michael Berryman already looks weird as fuck to begin with, so you can just, <laughs> you can just picture him turning into this abomination. I think in the first one, just real quick, I think, like, there's only a couple that actually have animatronics in their faces, and it's, like, the Griffin Lady, Lisker, and J.J. Uh, Walker. Yeah, everybody else is kind of, like, they have, they have bobbleheads going on. But the, I, I love Crane's form, and it's very it's very Creature of the Black Lagoon, uh, and it's got, like, front mandibular kind of extra pieces attached to his lower jaw that kind of flare up and down. He, it, Like I said, it looks like a predator fucked a gill man. Yeah, straight up. And I'm with it. I, yeah, it's it's slimy and unwelcoming and I love it. Basically, Sean doesn't, you know, he's, he's telling Sean, you know, join me, join me. And Sean thinks about it for like a couple seconds and is like, no, fuck that. You guys are murderers. Like, I'm never going to join you. He scrunches his entire face up and goes, no. <laughs> He does. Well, he says that, and then Linda Hamilton hits Sean with a fucking two-by-four or a crowbar or some shit and knocks him out cold. Hits him with a fucking crowbar. First of all, a a regular human, dead. Yeah. Well, good thing Sean's not a regular human, then. Dead or brain damage. And as we see later, like, if you're a Zonoid and you're in human form, and somebody fucking pops you in the dome, you are dead. You are dead. And apparently in this movie, which was not in the first one, you turn back into your Zonoid form, which angered me a lot. Well, they do that, they do a both ways they do it human to zoonoid and then zoonoid to human it's weird we'll talk about it it's not consistent it's it's yeah if you're a guyver or zoonoid uh your demise is absolutely gruesome regardless of what's happening to you so uh, yeah linda hamilton knocks out sean and then crane does a hilariously unnecessary villain laugh and goes I love my job. Yeah, why? <laughs> what is he even talking about? I don't even know. Well, that's the thing. Like, this character is actually somewhat interesting, and then he has these really bad one-liners. It's like kind of like Lisker was the same way. He was like this badass dude that had really bad dialogue. His second one-liner is my favorite of the two, though, because I just love the way he delivers it. But we'll once again, bring it up when I get there. So he sells. He tells Linda Hamilton, keep him sedated and blah, 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 until because they need him alive because he does have the Guyver unit. You can't just pull it out of him. Well, pull it out of his head. Well, well. I mean... Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I don't think, like, ripping him apart would probably do you no favors because you need the unit itself. Right. Cut back to the woods, and uh, Marcus, despite being a, a, a very happy old man, 
um, is doing his best to fend off two horrific monsters uh, whilst protecting Corey is not doing a bad job, considering he's com- he has a disadvantage. Do either of you understand why this fucking Jeep needed to be thrown off a cliff? Because I was kind of perplexed by this whole thing. I don't know, but when it blew up, I laughed my ass off. <laughs> Because it hits the ground, and it's kind of cool because you watch this thing fall and tumble and break apart in many shots. Even a nice close-up one when it lands, you see the inside of it just get fucking destroyed. And then it stops, it lingers, and goes BOOM! (laughs) You could probably tell by my tone that I'm starting to get to the point in the movie where I kind of turned on it. And this fight scene was kind of where the glue started to fall apart for me. Yeah. Um, this movie just takes a fucking page out of Devon's ghost and just starts going full Power Rangers for like five minutes after this. And the fight's kind of cool, but it just is like a little bit overkill for me, personally. It's because it's not Guyver and Monsters is the problem. It's just Monsters. That That's, that's a really good point, actually. It's three guys tumbling around because it's, it's three people who are who have very limited mobility versus one guy with mobility and one dude who has a suit that's very clearly designed for agile and precise movements. Right. And it kind of it's kind of like a a sleight of hand because you're you're watching the film and then when the guyver is in the scene with any of the monsters, you're almost focusing on the guyver more than the other than the monster. But when you have two monsters fighting each other, it's like then you start to notice all the shit that you don't notice when the guy was there. You know what I'm saying? But now in service of its story, I actually like this a lot because it it it, it changes how you look at a Zoonoid. They're not all just evil for the sake of being so. Some of them actually have a moral compass that points them in the direction of like, hey, you will not take my daughter out in the woods and put a bullet in her. I'm going to rip you to a part. Well, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't care who my boss is and who the fuck Crane is. Like, you're not doing that. And, and I'm actually kind of into that aspect of it. Like, that is a cool twist, but just everything around that idea is just not working at this point in the movie for me for me at least no i no i agree it was just a little too long and not interesting enough well for me i was just waiting for sean to show up because this leads to one of my favorite sections of the movie oh well when he gets there it's a totally different tune so we cut back to the campsite and um dime sword linda hamilton is like about to is shooting up sean he's like tied to a bed and she's like sedating him and she's like sleep Good night, baby. And then jabs him with a fucking needle. And right after that, Atkin comes in and fucking just pistol whips her in the fucking head. And then um, unties Sean. And Sean's like, I gotta go find Corey. And he's like, no one crazy? You can't go? You, you, you know, what the fuck's wrong with you? And he's like, nah, I gotta go. <laughs> You're full of drugs. Sit down. <laughs> yeah, and this motherfucker stumbles to a goddamn pickup truck and jumps in. And he's like almost crashing into like a tree and like driving off the road. I had forgot they sedated him and like... Being now a medical professional, um, I have seen the effects of sedatives firsthand. Any sedative is not going to allow you to get up and seamlessly go back into motor functions. And I'm glad this movie at least had the 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 the, the wherewithal to be like, no, he can't drive a car competently. He's going to crash into a fucking tree because he's like, propofol. Yeah, but, you know, granted, we're not talking too much about realism in a Guyver movie, but if it was somewhat realistic, if he got that far and he was in that car, it would have been Groundhog Day. <laughs> oh, for sure. You know, he would have been off that fucking cliff and blowing up. Like, let's, let's be real. He would have been like that goddamn Jeep five minutes ago. Yeah, but, like, wh- what I don't understand is, like, why even shoot him with the fucking needle of sedatives? Why didn't he, like, pistol whip her before she even had a chance to? I guess so that when he has this fight in the next scene that there's a reason why it takes him forever to fucking get rid of these dudes. I guess because he is fucking on point. Five minutes later, he should be asleep. But he's fighting these motherfuckers like no problem. Well, you also have to assume that, like, 
the Giver also has some semblance of autonomy when he puts it on. Yeah, I was thinking that too. And it's going to basically just kind of like filter out anything that's in his system and probably just kind of act like a, a secondary power unit, I guess, for his body. Well, it's like an adrenaline shot. Like, it, it, the way I thought about it was, you know, he puts this armor on and just like fucking powers up all of his, uh, you know, senses, essentially. Yeah, it's probably going to do to him basically what, like, Wolverine's healing factor would do and probably how uh, Barry Allen the Flash recovers from injuries. It's basically the speed force flows through his body and he heals from every any injury like a thousand times faster than anybody else would. Gotcha, gotcha. Sure, I'll buy that. It's it's comic book logic. Yeah, no, that's fine. All right. It's fine. It, it, anyone says, like, well, how does that happen, especially in regards to the Flash? I wave my hands and go, the speed force. <laughs> That's it. The Speed Force could make you a sandwich if you wanted to. And with Guyver, you just wave your hand and say Zoonoids. And there you go. Goo monsters. The suit collects it from your body and then sprays it out as vapor out of your face. Or you wave your hands and go, they's aliens. Yeah. Uh, Sean kind of, uh, he crashes the truck and then gets out in a cliff and just starts yelling, Corey. <laughs> he fucking goes on this cliff and he's like, Corey! In this big, giant, open fucking canyon, and somehow, some way, she fucking hears him, and she's like, Huh, Sean? And then she goes, Sean, help us! And he's like, I hear her too. Okay, I'll be right down. However, I live in areas with big, giant, cavernous mountains, um, and having been hiking there, uh, if you do scream into a big, giant, rocky void, uh, everyone within a mile is going to hear it, because I've done it. <laughs> fine, she, fine, I'll buy that she can hear him, but... How can he hear her? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. He's Batman. We don't know. For the sake of my own sanity, I was like, this is all probably happening at like the base of this hill, so it probably really isn't that far away. I guess. Speaking of Batman, I forgot I was watching Guyver for a hot second here, and when he runs off this... he Okay, let me preface this first. So, he, he kind of gets a beat on her location... And then he, 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 he does like a double take and then he goes full sprint and jumps off this fucking mountain. And I swear to God, for a second there, I thought he was going to pull a cape out and just glide down. But instead, <laughs> he just shouts Guyver and the fucking suit pops out of him and lands on him and he hits the ground. No problem. And then he just starts running fast as fuck. He does that in the anime, too. Like, he just fucking books it through the woods and shit i wish he did it more because that's kind of a cool idea it is cool well i like that because of just how it's filmed like he lands and they sh they, they show you his like burning footprints from where he from where he impacted and where he takes off and like you hear like the like he takes off but like the last millisecond you see of him on screen he's running just as fast as like a regular guy <laughs> it's really amusing looking so he gets to uh the monster brawl and he's like fucking with him he's like he like jumps in the water with them and like smacks him around a little bit and then like goes under the water and he's like swimming around their legs and like popping up in different spots i love this because like he's he's doing this in waist high water and then when like the monsters stop splashing and looking for him they pan down and the water is clear as it could be you can see the bottom An another effects question and i apologize i think this might be the last one but i just yes the reason why they had the fight in this fucking creek is that purely so they could show off that they made these monster suits work in a way where they didn't get ruined by this or you know i couldn't think of any other reason to have it in a creek i mean i think it's just for the aesthetic of like fighting in the water and splashing around okay it's like fighting in the rains like w when you throw a punch in the rain is going to be traced by raindrops like every movement they do in the water is going to look exaggerated because they're going to have water flying off them okay i could buy that. i thought i just in my brain immediately goes to like hey we made these awesome monster suits that don't get ruined by water but maybe i just don't understand how that shit works also like i imagine in like steve wang's head and probably everybody else's head they were imagining this kind of like watery pit 
And what they got was like this kind of very friendly, shallow stream that a family was probably playing in five feet away. And we're like, oh, my God. And then ran away. Yeah, right, right. Or they were like, hey, we spent the money on this fucking underwater housing. I guess we got to use it. There's like there's kids five feet away like, mom, I found a shark tooth. And like these three fucking monsters roll in and starts beating the shit out of each other. There's a grown man looking for an evil Knievel doll. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the head? I knew we threw it down here somewhere. I need the head. It's all connected. Sean does his little submarine thing, jumps out of the water and just pops the head off this fucking bug man. It's a really cool sequence because he jumps up, he lands kind of the anime samurai thing where he swings, you don't you don't see contact. Then this dude stops and you hear there's no music. You just hear this nasty pop. Like and this head this dude's head just flops into the water. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. It it it's cool, but I I wonder if even though it was rated R, they just they still had to kind of keep it not super gory because you know which you know i say that now and there's a scene later that totally nullifies that but you know he slices the head and you kind of get it from a back angle you just see the head fall into the water and then the body fall in the blood pool but they never really other than this one scene that we're about to get to show him do this damage and i wonder if that was just a ratings issue or it just looked like shit so they didn't use the shot it could be anything it could be like um Maybe there wasn't time or money in the day to have this full suit be decapitated. Right. And I understand I'm doing a lot of speculating with this film because I'm just trying to wrap my head around some of the decisions that were made. I don't have the answers. I think it was just a style choice, honestly. It looks like a it looks like a pan and scan. Like, it was wider, and then they fucking zoomed it in. Yes. The head comes off, but it's not it's not, not bloody. I oh, mean, no, fucking, no, no, no. You yeah. see the decapitated head, and you see the body fall in the water, and the water f- fills with red. Now that I'm thinking back on it, maybe, yeah, you're right it is stylistic but it just the way i thought about it was every time that someone gets their head sliced it's like from behind but again it could just be a stylistic choice that's a good point like gratuitous decapitation you mean yeah i I don't know that's a stupid thing to get hung up on but you know here we are for every sequence of like violence that was cut down or framed kind of maybe improperly uh there's one usually immediately afterwards or a short time later that completely makes up for it because Sean backs this rhino thing up onto the shore, and they have a fucking brawl. This is my second favorite action sequence in the movie, and they have a full-on... Well, Sean is going full martial arts in this thing, and it's using brute strength, but Sean outclasses the shit out of this thing. There's lots of nip-ups and cool flips and shit. At some point, Sean stuns this thing, and there's an awesome slow-motion shot of Sean doing this, like, fucking ridiculous roundhouse kick to the back of this thing's uh like hump but then as we mentioned earlier these monsters aren't really built that well and his entire back just slumps in <laughs> yeah i mean you see that it's it's kind of like kicking in a fucking deflated kickball or something you see that but then the audio makes it sound like sean just crushed every piece of organic fiber in that hump so i was like okay it's more like sean just destroyed that part of his body hence why it caved in this fight kind of goes on for maybe like two minutes uh, i love every part of it and then it ends in probably one of the most ridiculous overkill fashions i've seen in quite some time uh sean outclasses this thing to the point where he gets into like a test of strength against a tree grabs him by the hands and breaks both of his hands upwards and blood sprays everywhere then he turns around shoots his forehead laser into his forehead which makes his eyeballs blow up and because he wasn't satisfied then turns around takes his hand and smushes his head (laughs) in really nasty fashion (laughs) 
It's so fucking good, man. He's like smashes when he smashes him on the tree. He just like throws up blood all over his shoulder. He backs him into a tree so hard that he basically just like ruptures his insides. Then spins around, takes his elbow blades, ginsu's him a few times in the chest. Yeah, uh, and then proceeds to do all that. It's a, it's a Mortal Kombat fatality if I've ever seen one. It's the best fight scene in my opinion in the whole movie. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the best kill, the most interesting kill. Yeah, I think the second fight is way better. Oh, no, I think the final fight is way better. Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, yeah, because okay, I agree with that. Okay, this is the most fun because it's. Or not most fun, but this is the, the bloodiest one of the whole movie, that's for sure. Yeah. It's the most fun because it is the most graphic thing between both films, I think. Right. That's what I want to see. I want to see a fucking monster just get decimated by the Kyver. That's why I like these movies is because it's not like, it's, they address it in this movie is that this, this Kyver unit is not, it's not heroic. Like, it has a job to do and it's going to get it done in the most, it, it, if in the grossest way possible if it needs to. It's not interested in mercy. It's not interested in letting someone go. It's going to destroy you. Oh, yeah. It is a crude weapon designed by a pretty kind of callous alien race who saw everything went wrong and were like, mm, fuck this, and left. Basically. So, Sean kills this motherfucker and he runs back up on shore or over to uh, Corey and her father's, like, coming up behind her but he's still in, like, zoonoid form and he, like, spins through the air to fucking, like, cut this thing's head off and she, like, gets in between them both and she's like, no! And it, like, goes black and then we cut back in and then like the elbow blade is like right in her face and then he like retracts the armor because she's like don't it's my dad but then he like retracts his armor and it's just like I don't know it looks like shit it's like CGI yeah I I like this because she's She's rightfully freaked out because her entire day has been uprooted in a couple minutes because her dad's a, a, a Zoidberg behind her and the guy she's kind of crushing on uh, just retracted his alien booger armor. Right. And she's like, I can't deal with today. <laughs> she just kind of walks off. We cut back to the camp. Yeah. We're down in the fucking caves and Crane just has his fucking goons like just executing the fucking archaeologists. Yeah, he's there shooting these students. There's like three of them in a pile and he's like, all right, who's next? Step right up. And Bob's over there like, oh, you can't fucking do this. So like, ah, oh, actually we can and we are. There's already two dead, Bob. You could be number three. Like, <laughs> Close your mouth. Crane just is like, I can and I am and I will. Shut up. <laughs> he's, he's like, hey man, be cool, man, be cool. Uh, how about I just fucking kill you? How's that sound? How about I not? How about you die? I don't need you anymore. Goodbye. You'll be cool as a corpse. Uh, now I can quit the show. That was terrible. Cool as a cucumber. So then we, uh, we have my favorite terrible edit I think I've ever seen. Because it almost implies teleportation. So wrap your heads around this if you can. Yeah, I mean, I get what they were trying to do here. It just doesn't work at all. Like, I had to rewatch that scene like three times to understand it. It is hysterically filmed because you hear what sounds like like the cavalry arriving like fucking Atkins did say he has backup coming you hear like a gunshot and one of these guards go down and then you see one react to something and then it cuts away to another guard in a different location who gets bonked on the head and drops dead and then Atkins is in Arlen's office and he's pointing a gun at him. I'm like, oh my god, he teleported. This happens so fucking fast, I thought everybody was together. Right. This happens in literally one second. Also, the one guy that gets knocked out that they focus on when it cuts, just like falls on the ground, dying in zoonoid form randomly, just starts like bleeding out. Doesn't melt like in the first movie, just is there bleeding. He starts to transform and then gets like stabbed in the head, I suppose? Yeah, right in the forehead, because he's bleeding out. Well, foreheads, you know, Guyver. Atkins is using his CQC. 
<laughs> he learned it from David Ader. You know, let's just complete the reference. Are you telling me that uh, Solid Snake is also a time traveler? Well, you know, we're not going to get into that right now. You know, you do that in your <laughs> own time. can make some assumptions here, but, you know, we'll save that for another day. John Hurd just reaches through a portal and grabs him. <laughs> oh, Solid Snake is part of the timeline now. <laughs> he gets the Giver unit. Yep. So Atkins is there with his government buddies, and they're kind of rounding up Crane's men. He's there basically to, uh, I guess, like, carry out the government attack on Kronos, who have been suspicious of Kronos for some time. So they kind of round him up, and they're outside... And uh, he's like, oh, we're for backup to appear. And Crane's like, what about... He says something like, what about my backup? Um, and we cut to, like, a sniper hanging out in the woods. And behind him, another uh, Lisker-esque Zonoid is hanging out in the background and kind of, like, jumps behind him and rips him to pieces. Right, right. And, and while this is all going on, we cut back to Corey and uh, Sean for this brief... Uh tender moment. I always wanted a fucking alien. Yeah, th- th- this scene's weird, and, and and this is part of the reason why I don't like Corey's character at the end of this movie. Uh, I I like the majority of what they do with, this, th- with Corey, but then she says this line that just burned my fucking blood. She goes, it's every woman's dream to be rescued by a knight in shining armor, even if he wears it on the inside. Like, what? And they just start making out. And I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing, lady? Yeah, like, but I don't know. She's like, it's not what you're there for. Right, and and she's, uh, she's a super smart researcher, archaeologist, like... I just, I don't need it, man. Like, no. It just kind of kills the whole character for me. Agreed. It's totally inconsistent with how she is later, because, like I said, she acts like a damsel, she is used as a damsel in distress here, and then later on is perfectly capable of defending not just herself, but her family. The fact that she is badass at the end of the movie doesn't change the fact that she's played up as a stereotype to me, because even though she has that moment to shine, when she says shit like this, and every word out of her mouth is about you know, either stopping Crane or helping Sean, it just starts to be like, all right, come on. Like, you were better than this earlier in the film. Like, come on, man. You have a very clear purpose for this role, and the script is doing you no favors. Right, she should have been more concerned about her father getting killed or Sean, you know, I I don't know. I I don't know what she should have done, but I wasn't thrilled with this uh, revelation, I guess I should say. The, The whole romance with Corey... Like, Corey could exist in this movie and not be a love interest. She could just be someone else there who also makes it out of the cave. Right, she could just be this woman that is on the dig, and they these two just work together. What probably happened is someone was like, what do you mean she's the movie? She's capable. And then this seventy-eight year, this 75,000-year-old movie-making executive is swinging a cigar around. <laughs> uh, he's like, I've had syphilis 18 times. You better make her a love interest or I'm not funding your movie. Yeah, right? She needs to be the fucking meat man, okay? Now I have to go to the hospital where they're going to put some young blood into me so I don't die tomorrow. I was best friends with Dino. She needs a man to save her. For God's sake, put it in the film. Uh, that's a running joke from Phantom Zone where we blame every bad uh, Hollywood creative decision on ancient, uh, like, death lord executive producers who all should have died 50 years ago. Well, it's like the producer of uh, Tim and Eric's uh, billion dollar movie, if you ever see that. <laughs> I haven't. Guy's fucking spot on. Look it up. And I'm pretty sure it's like a famous B-movie actor, but don't quote me on that. So, yeah, so they're they're back at this dig and uh, uh, the Lisker Zoonoid, who I can't remember what this... The not-Lisker is the way I refer to him. Yeah, he has a name. He has a character name, but I can't remember what it is. It's the Lisker makeup from the first movie. <laughs> it's the exact same, like, costume, which 
whatever. It's, it's They had the mold, so fuck it. They had the mold, and it's cool looking, and I fucking like it, so I don't care. Yeah. Well, you guys had mentioned right before this that this this not Lisker had come in and started killing all of uh, Atkins' help, and Atkins, like, right before this happens, has... Uh, Crane and Linda Hamilton and the, you know, security ball cap guy, like one of the other ones that's still alive, basically round up with guns to their head. And he's like, yeah, you know, don't even try to transform or you're dead. And then this guy comes in and Atkins is like, ah, shit, like we need to figure this out. And meanwhile, David Hayter and uh, Corey walking in the background are just like, oh, this Okay, they didn't notice it yet. Let's go in the cave. Like, okay, let's not try to help Atkins at all or anything. We're just going to go in the cave. Okay. I was thinking the same thing. Like, why the fuck would he just transform and start beating motherfuckers? Well, because we have to have uh, the, the, the the lore dump. Oh, yeah. Because here it comes. I forgot. The lore dump that we just visualize and never actually have explained to us. Well, well no, we do have it explained to us, but it comes in pieces uh, towards the end of the film. It cut, like, yeah. basically, Sean explains this vision he has. Okay, so basically... Sean puts the guy for suit back on and goes back into the cave. Uh, meanwhile, and during all this, like, he has convinced Corey, like, we need to blow this ship up because, like, we can't let the Zoonoids get it. But also, like, we can't let the government have it because, obvious, because the government's not going to do much good with it. They're going to fucking use it and weaponize it like everyone would think they would. Which is what Kronos is doing. <laughs> yeah. So at that point, it's like, oh, why have the lesser of two evils and you just blow this shit up and nobody has it? Um, exactly. So, uh, meanwhile, the ship starts calling Sean and Corey's like, don't fight it. Go do what you have to do. So he goes, he puts the suit back on and he goes into this mainframe again. And now because he has the suit on and he has the central unit, the ship can communicate with him and basically gives him the entire origin of the Zoonoids and the Givers. And basically, these aliens who are still nameless came to the planet and basically seeded it. We had a long shot of like uh, several different animals and life forms in like pod form. Uh, it's very Prometheus. Yeah, and one of them, one of them was like early man. Yeah, one of them is early man, and there's a shot where it kind of the early man kind of transitions into a beastly form, and you're kind of left to think, oh, that's the first Zoonoid. And then it cuts to a gathering of early men around a campfire, and they all transform into various uh, Giver One monsters. <laughs> yeah, one is even cockroach Mark Hamill. It is even with his eyes. It's <laughs> yep. I think. Well, again, that's all reused, and like that little tree stump looking motherfucker. Yeah, he's there too. That's there too. The Lister thing shows up again, um, which like that one is like okay, that because it's shown up more than once already. It's fine. It's whatever. Like you've established that there are di- there are different strains of these things, and you can have multiple of the same. Totally fine with that. This uh, lore dump slash flashback that you get also is where you see for the first time these, like I mentioned earlier, these like conehead looking spaceships. Um, at least on the ground, that's kind of what they look like once they're in their flying state. Yeah, they're kind of cool looking because like the bottom of them are the kind of these landing anchors, I guess. Well, they they look like. Uh, Portuguese manowars when they're actually flying. It's kind of cool looking. Yeah! During this flashback, you get to see what I guess would be the first Giver unit, and it looks fucking awesome. It is a completely separate design from Sean's and another one, which we'll talk about soon. Uh, and it looks cool as shit. Uh, and I can probably guarantee there was supposed to be more done with that because it's a fully realized suit. It's not a shortcut. Well, that's the thing. There's three Givers in the anime. Yeah. So it could have easily been three Givers in this movie. If you want to make Corey's character interesting, you know, keep that character, like, involved with the plot in a way that is appealing to everyone, 
give her that third Guyver unit. Like, at the end of the movie, have Sean get his ass handed to him, and then he gets saved by her in the third Guyver unit. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe that would have been too expensive. I don't know. That would be pretty fucking cool, actually. Holy shit. That's actually a movie I really want. <laughs> oh, my God. That's awesome. I think they probably had to get this finale done quickly. Oh, no. I, I don't doubt that at all. I'm just saying, you know, pipe dream scenario. This could have been a cool thing to see there's lots of great potential buried in this entire third act um that probably in a very equilibrium sense like once they got to it they're like fuck we don't have time for half of this there's like a real quick scene where um crane is talking to the big boss again and he's like he's like what do you mean you don't have the guyver and he's like we don't have it yet give me like another hour and he's like you have one more hour to get me the guyver and so he fucking he's like well Get her, better get the secret weapon. And he fucking opens the case that has the broken Garvey unit in it. And woo foreshadowing. So back in the cave, Sean gets all this information related to him. And uh, Crane and his cronies come into the central room again and kind of uh, stumble upon Corey as she's getting ready to blow up all this dynamite or setting all the dynamite. And they have a little back and forth. He Crane takes her. Her dad comes back and he's like, we had a deal. <laughs> Um, again, he doesn't sound like that. I don't know why he's had four different voices. No, because he sounds like this. We had a deal, Crane. You probably wouldn't hurt my family. Don't stick me with a fucking thing, piece of rebarb in my chest. <laughs> Crane just goes to him. He, he just, like, waves him away. He's like, uh, actually, we had a contract. You said that any technology we find, we get, and you keep the rest. And he's like, ah, damn. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. And he's like, you should you should have told Corey, you dumbass. Yeah, and he's like, well, your fucking daughter's can't keep her goddamn mouth shut, so uh, I'm gonna have to kill her. Sean appears out of back in the center chamber and basically says, like, bring it on, everybody. Gaiva! He's like, I got my lord dump, and now I'm powered up. <laughs> yeah, Crane sends his goons to attack Sean, who uh, promptly deals with all of them. Atkins is chased away by now Zoanoid Dollar Store Linda Hamilton. She's dumb looking. She looks like shit. She's got like she's just she's just bumpy. Like that's her main <laughs> character trait. Everybody else is a monster, and she just kind of looks like a stupid demon thing. Yeah, I don't know. I think it looks kind of cool, but in the context of a Zoanoid, it does look like shit. <laughs> well, the only cool thing I liked about her was that like they managed to keep her ponytail like in the aesthetic design of her creature because she has this kind of long, gross thing hanging at the back of her head. She looks like an ice giant or some shit. It looks like Bib Fortuna fucked Xenomorph. It looks like a, a not-as-interesting version of the thing from Species. Kinda. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like a like a Giga reject? Uh, yes. It, it, you know what it looks like, I just realized? It looks like a female version of Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze. Minus the fucking armor. That too. Um, so it chases Atkins, who has the case where he thinks the Giver's, the Giver unit is in. And this is kind of where I liked Atkins, because... Either Atkins is, like, a class A badass who I wouldn't fuck with if my life depended on it, or this particular Zoonoid is an absolute goon and sucks at her job. I think it's somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> this really pissed me off, because, first of all, she's got a gun. And I'm like, why? if you're a fucking monster, why do you need a gun? <laughs> well, I can explain that, because why walk up to something and rip it to shreds when you can just kill them from a distance? It's kind of the point of turning into the monster. <laughs> yeah, like, why why grow the extra teeth and fangs if you can just shoot them? Do you think she was, like, on Indiana Jones level? Like, she's just like, ah, who the fuck needs to go crazy if I can just shoot him? But then she never does, so whatever. She chases Atkins, and Atkins, like, fucking puts up an excellent fight. Yeah, but this pissed me off, too, because I'm like, he should have got his fucking ass kicked, and he's, like, punching her and, like, doing damage. I'm like, what the fuck? It's, look, you don't fuck with him, okay? He hunted Jason Voorhees. 
<laughs> all right? He knows what he's doing. He survived that backbreaker. He's fine. He's full of shit. <laughs> Go, look, Creighton Duke sucks. I like this guy a lot better. Meanwhile, Marcus is just beating... Well, he's not beating on uh, Crane. He's trying to beat Crane, and Crane's just beating the living lights out of him. And, and he's like, Marcus, you're fired. Oh, oh, damn it, you stepped on it. Arrgh! I love that sequence. All right, Marcus transforms, and Marcus has the second coolest transformation in the movie because he, like, he does kind of a similar thing where he's kind of like mid-emote, and then he starts to transform. And he leaps onto Crane, and as he does, they both kind of fall out of frame. But you can see Marcus's clothes, like, tearing off and flying off into pieces of fabric, like, in the background. It's kind of interesting. And, like, he gets a few shots in, and fucking Crane backs up and goes, Marcus! A fire. He fucking rips a piece of rebar. <laughs> he's like, he's like, Marcus is like, I'm not going to be a part of the company because I don't want to be a part of genocide or whatever. And Crane's like, oh, that's great. And he takes a fucking piece of rebar and just jams it in his fucking chest. And blood shoots everywhere. And then fucking Corey smacks him in the back with a fucking pickaxe. And he's like, motherfuck. Turns around and backhands the shit out of her. Yeah. <laughs> Well, as we learned in MacGyver 1, you know, bolts don't do a goddamn thing, but you grab a, a microscope and you, you could kill this thing in one fucking hit. So the fact that the pickaxe works is not a shock at all. Ah, the fucking MacGyver. So Corey gets backhanded and gets her face blooded and kind of like doesn't just stay out of the fight. She gets up and she's like, oh, fuck. Um, cut back to Atkins, who is still dealing with this female Zonoid, who he shoots in the face with a fire extinguisher and then drop kicks her into an electrical panel and she gets roasted. Yeah, and then turns back into a human, which I thought was cool. It was cool because he just fucking executes her, like, right after that. <laughs> She's, like, shocked and, like, all roasted in the ground, and she still grabs his leg, and he just puts two inside of her and just, like, walks on, and he goes, bitch, and walks away. Yeah. It just cuts to uh, Sean getting the shit beat out of him by these two goony-ass-looking, uh, Zoonoids. One of them looks like fucking Yoshi. Yeah. Well, Yoshi gets a stick of dynamite in his fucking mouth, and then Sean just eye beams him to death. <laughs> he looks like hell comes to Frogtown. Sean deals with him. Yeah, he's throwing shit at this thing. It catches, and he, he picks up a piece of dynamite, and he's like, uh-huh. He has like a Bugs Bunny moment. He throws it at this thing. It catches it in his mouth, and he just immediately eye lasers it, and it blows up this Zoonoid's head, and it's out of the fight completely. It's awesome. And then the Lisker Zoonoid comes to attack him, and Sean just fucking is like, I don't have time for this like immediately just takes him to the ground and snaps his neck and blood starts pouring out of his mouth <laughs> yeah like how why hasn't he been doing that the whole time just snap the neck it's that easy okay and just break it i think that's actually interesting because like oh sean is strong enough as the guy ever just grab one of these things and just like just deal with it <laughs> so then crane is like oh fuck and then he more or less takes marcus out of the fight um i think at some point oh yeah Corey gets her second shot in because her father's like dying and she picks up, like, a digging sledgehammer and cracks Crane right in the fucking mouth. Um, and he's spitting blood everywhere. He's fucking dazed and pissed off. Um, this is kind of where I was like, Corey rocks. And then Atkins, like, comes around the corner and he's he looks like he just got his ass kicked. And I'm like, you're fine. What are you doing? Yeah, he's like bloody and everything. Was that Marcus's blood on him, maybe? I don't know. He was that from the pickaxe? Like, I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Atkins is like... He looks like he's half dead, and he comes around the corner with, like, an empty case where the Giver was in. And then he drops to the floor. Yeah, he's like, Sean, the case, and he opens it, and it's empty. Sean looks over at uh, the now Zoonoid form Crane and goes like, you didn't. And Crane's like, I done did. <laughs> <laughs> Here it comes. He says something to lead up to this, but then he's like, he says biomorph. Biomorph, that's what it is. And then becomes the 
badass looking Giver Zonoid. Holy shit, this design is amazing. Okay, so here it comes again. The Giver th- the the third Giver unit in the anime. This is basically what it looks like, save for like the big gill part yeah like where his gills would be other than that it looks nearly identical to it this design is cool as fuck and i think the the blades that the kind of the swords it has are in a much more practical place Mm, yeah he's like baraka yeah that's exactly um but sean noticed immediately he's like that unit's damage that's not a good idea and Crane's just like, whatever, motherfucker, I'm strong now. Crane's like, whatever, motherfucker, and then starts running at Sean on his hands. That's about a minute into the fight. They have an extended fight that goes all over this fucking cave, and it is, we are in full uh, kung fu movie territory. We got wire fighting, we got backflips, we got cool-ass kicks. Are we sure, are we sure Koichi Sakamoto didn't uh, do the fight choreography in this movie? I, I have no idea. I didn't look. Never mind, it was a joke. It went over your head. Let's just move on. It's an awesome fight sequence that gets to the point where Crane extends his fucking hando blades. Uh, and they have a big old ting, 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 ting kind of duel. Sean extends one of his. Uh, Crane actually gets the upper hand and gets Sean to the ground and stabs him right in the ribs and basically tells him, like, I'm the next step. Like, this is where we're supposed to go. I'm the superior race. Um, meanwhile, like, during this whole fight, his Giver unit is acting erratically. You can tell it's not functioning right. He's having twitches. You can hear, like, these little sounds that in- insinuate that, like, it's completely unstable. His his center unit is blinking red the entire time, like it's a check engine light. And uh, even towards the end of this fight, Sean is like, that unit is fucked up and you shouldn't be wearing it. And as soon as he's about to put the final blow into Sean, Corey grabs a pistol and shoots Crane straight in the forehead. Right in the dome. Right in the fucking damaged unit. And he is begins screaming in agony. And Sean pushes him off him, gets up, and pulls the old classic move, reaches forward and grabs the unit and a horrifyingly yanks it out and then because Sean's angry I guess <laughs> gives Crane like three or four more shots to the forehead <laughs> he punches him in the fucking head and then he's like this model's been recalled and he fucking drops it on the floor and like smashes it and then fucking super smashes him like well Crane starts to fucking dissolve and he doesn't dissolve like like Sean does in Guyver 1 where it's just like and he's in a puddle in a few minutes like crane is watching his fingers become rubber he's looking at himself becoming like purple goo he looks like stripe at the end of gremlins there is a shot of his face where the giver mask is melted off but so has his actual flesh face and it's just this skeletal jaw screaming in agony by the way crane screams from start to finish he screams the moment he's shot in the forehead to the moment Sean kills him with a Kamehameha blast, and it sounds like genuine, horrifying agony. He's basically like, <laughs> the whole time. The, the Smasher in this is, the Super Smasher is fucking way cooler than the first one. Like, when he, op- he like, literally has to open up his chest, like in the anime, the fucking cannons are there, and everything, it looks so good, and then he just fucking blasts his ass through, like, the fucking cave system. He destroys Crane into, like, basically a pile of ashes, and and then it actually cuts and it shows you like the trajectory of this blast and several different objects have this big old circular burn into them. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's like going all the way through the fucking mountainside. <laughs> Completely unnecessary overkill, but I loved it. Then basically kind of just rushed to the ending here because there's not a whole lot to take in. Uh, Sean breaks down like what the ship told him. Basically, he says the Zonoids were an experiment and the Giver was also an experiment that they did on humans to basically kind of fix their previous mistake with the Zonoids. 
and humans were like, how fucking dare you stick us in these godforsaken uniform uh, outfits? And they rebelled. And then the aliens kind of fucked off. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of like Prometheus in that sense, where like they created a life form and then they made another life form to fucking destroy it, sort of. But the second life form was not all that gracious. I mean, because like the concept of that is not as lofty as it sounds, and that's one of the things I like about this movie is that it does explore that. And the ship takes Sean makes the ship take off. Uh, it, it leaves uh, in, in 1994 CGI. He somehow has that power. Yeah, it fucks right off into space. Yeah, and it just fucking leaves. <laughs> you know, I had a weird thought about this. If they ever made a third one, like the third one would be like that ship landing on that planet and then be like, oh shit, like Earth. And they come back. You've been on Earth this whole time? <laughs> <laughs> they go check it out and they just annihilate everybody. Oh my God, what's it like now? <laughs> And then they fucking bury Corey's dad. They bury Corey's dad, and uh, except a little girl didn't come out and turn the cross into an X, like I was hoping. <laughs> uh, and then Atkins is like, "Hey, we're gonna start. A, we're gonna rage an underground war against Kronos. Are you in?" And Sean is like, "Bye." And just him and Corey drive off. He's like, "Nah, I'm good. See ya." Their fate is kind of left up in the air as they just try and kind of drive off together, and then it's over. Atkins is like, "How do I contact you? What do I do?" And then he just points to the bat signal. <laughs> He gave us a signal! This whole movie is basically about Sean finding his purpose, right? Yeah. And his purpose is basically to kill Zoonoids. So I don't get why he doesn't, like, go with Atkins or, like... Maybe if, maybe he's afraid they're going to go all E.T. on his ass? I guess. Atkins is like, come on, let's team up. Like, Milli Vanilla, let's do it. I mean, I wouldn't trust the government if I was Sean either because, like, I'm going to make a very uh, lofty comparison here. It's like the Sokovia Accords from Civil War in that Captain America says, like, um... Like, what if they send us someplace we know we shouldn't be, and what if they don't let us go a place we need to be? Yeah. Like, I think the the Giver weapon in the hands of the U.S. government would be... Because, like, for all Sean knows, it's like, hey, go to Venezuela and why don't you kill a dictator for us? No, absolutely. I mean, I totally get that. I agree with that logic, but I think Sean is just more all about, like, he doesn't think anybody should have this technology, and he just doesn't give a shit. He just wants a normal life. Like, if he's got to fight these guys again, he will, but as far as he's concerned, he's going to go fishing and live his life out and not worry about it. Yes, he doesn't want to have to do it. He will do it when it's necessary. Now he's just going to go fuck. He's not, he doesn't have to worry about anything. Well, I mean, that's a that's a goal I think we can all relate to. <laughs> Like, basically, he's like, I got a bitch with me. I'm good. See ya. If you gave me the option of, like, hey, in five days, you have to go fight um, a fishman, would you want to go? Also, right now, you may have a chance to get laid. What do you choose? It's like, bye. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously. I don't want to go fight the fishman. The fishman can wait. I got to do, I got to take care of some business. Yeah, the Zoonoid's been here for a while. They're going to be here afterwards. <laughs> so the movie ends with them driving off and Atkins kind of just like shaking his head like, we'll meet again, kid. And then it just cuts to black. Jimmy Walker comes in. Yeah, I, I was waiting for that just randomly. <laughs> See, see now as a child, I distinctly remember there being a, a, a different version of the ending where we see this dude that's been on the TV for a while. But I could be just imagining that. Like I thought we we got more with him. I thought so too, but I guess not. Maybe not the director's cut. I don't know. I had the director's cut, but like I mean, I think we all watched the director's cut. But it could have been like a TV cut. That might well, yeah, because most of what I've seen, Guyver Two, was TV. Yeah, but TV usually has a bunch of scenes yes. that are like reinstated. Yeah. Um, especially if you watched like horror movies on Sci-Fi or USA or something. Oh yeah, Halloween has plot lines that only exist because of the TV versions. Yeah, John Carpenter's furious with that shit. He's like, I didn't want this to happen. <laughs> Exactly. So, uh, so where are we putting this boy? Uh, oh, this is a shelf movie for me. It's the same as the first movie. I love this movie. I see. 
it's I like this movie more than the first one because I think this movie has more of a of a concrete central theme. I think the fights are better. There's no needless comedy, um, and uh, I love the way both Guyver suits look. Um, you know, I definitely think this movie is a dumpster movie for me. Um, I, I this is gonna sound bad, but I think I actually like the first one better. And I hated the first one, so take that how you will. This movie, you know, I, I will say kind of like how Connor had sold me on it with the previous episode for Guyver 1. Uh, the fight scenes, for the most part, are a lot better. Um, you know, there's a little bit of the good stuff with the gore. And, you know, I actually think I prefer David Hayter as Sean than the guy that played him in the first movie. I think most people do. Yeah, but the, the rest of the movie, I, I don't know, the plot... As silly as the first one could get, I just I I was more into what was going on moment to moment. Whereas this movie, I was just kind of sitting there, you know, waiting for shit to happen for way too long. And then when it did, I was like, whoa, 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 okay, I gotta pay attention now. And you know, maybe chalk that up to the director's cut. Uh, I would be interested to to possibly revisit this movie. You know, watch the original cut, see if that's gonna improve it at all. But currently, I would definitely say it's in the dumpster. You know, it's like mid level. You know, it's it's not the worst thing we watch by any stretch, but it's definitely, at least in my opinion, worse than the first movie, even without the comedy. I think we've actually just come off watching two of the worst things we've ever seen. So for me, this is like, this is a fantastic rebound. Anything's an improvement over what the fuck we just watched. Um, This is on the shelf for me, but I very much enjoy the first one better than this one. There's some good gore in this. There's some great choreography, but on the whole, it's just kind of flat to me. No, I feel exactly the same way. It's very bleh in terms of in terms of sets and what's going on. I feel like the first film is much more um rich in atmosphere. Okay. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Also the filmmaking is better in the first movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, the choreography is better in the second movie, but the actual filmmaking is better in the first movie. Like, somewhere between the first and second movie, as far as the spectrum goes, like, there is a perfect version of both of these movies that sits right in the middle, because... And that's the anime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And I honestly, like, I think, like, the movies and the anime actually kind of comfortably sit together, uh as opposed to several other anime adaptations like fucking Dragon Ball or some shit like that. Well, yeah. Let's let's not kid ourselves here. Dragon Ball's an atrocious fucking nightmare of a of an adaptation. <laughs> In regards to being an anime adaptation, like I don't know if there's stuff even today that is as faithful and made as lovingly as these two movies are. Uh, you, you don't think Death Note was uh made with love and care? Fuck off. Like <laughs> And th- I think that's another reason why I love these movies is because there is a lot of uh, uh, sincerity pumped in these two movies. It's made by people who seemingly love this stuff. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of love and care in, in both of these films. And, like, I'll get behind any movie, flaws or not, that has a lot of love and sincerity and effort poured into it. And David Hayter is, is sweet on this movie to the point where... Uh, later in his career, when he became a screenwriter, he used the name Sean Barker as a pseudonym for screenwriting. So if you ever see that name in credits, it's David Hayter. Oh, that's kind of funny. Which is weird to me because, like, I say I like him better as this character than the, the guy who played him in the first movie, but it's not like he's some, like, amazing part. And, you know, uh, just to quickly go back to Joe's point about the camera work in this movie, um, you know, the first movie, and you know, maybe this isn't a fair uh, thing to say, you know, 
I, I wasn't there. I wasn't on set. But the first movie feels like it was shot like a fucking movie, whereas this almost comes across as like a made-for-TV movie. Like a soap opera or something. Yeah, just the way that it's lit, the way that the camera's positioned in a lot of shots, just, I don't know, it just feels a little bit off in comparison. As far as, far as the lighting goes, it's very um, rounded rather than um, dynamic or dramatic. Right. And I think it hurts it. These monsters could be much scarier if this was lit better. Um, the scenes could be more... Intense. Intense, yeah. So it's just kind of, again, like, it's flat on that level, like, from a filmmaking and, like, spectacle kind of point of view. I think it's a fantastic spectacle film. It's a great little popcorn thing for me because it's just, it's it's the kind of movie that was made seemingly, like, and Hunter describes it as such as this because ever since we've I, we've talked about doing Guyver 1... He's looked into these movies, and he's he's a big anime nerd. He loves Godzilla and all that kinds of stuff. So these movies are made exclusively for people like him, and seemingly for people like me, too. I, I, I'm i a pretty big anime fan, and to be fair, I still have yet to watch The Giver. It, it's still, you know, even since we did the first episode a few weeks ago, um, it's on my list of things to watch. just haven't gotten around to it yet, but I don't know. Like, I try to separate the two. Like, I can't sit there and watch, you know, as much as we joke about Dragon Ball Evolution. You know, obviously, it's a totally different thing than the source material. And, you know, I do the same thing with Game of Thrones. It's impossible yeah. Yeah. not to compare the two, even if you, in your head, are like, oh, this is this and this is that. It just, you're going to make those comparisons. So, you know, I think it both hurts and helps this film that it's an adaptation. We crossed that film with Death Note because Death Note isn't just a bad adaptation. Death Note's a horrible fucking movie. Right. But I don't hate this movie. It's just not as good. I don't think it's as good as the first one. It's kind of, and it's kind of boring. But again, that could be due to the director's cut and all the extra kind of bullshit that we don't need in it. Yeah, because what is, what is the director's got like 20 minutes longer he's 20 or 30 i think yeah the the, the runtime for the theatrical was like 96 and then the uh, directors is like 123 oof yeah like goddamn. my fucking god that's okay that's that's the difference between the batman versus superman theatrical and director's cut and in a completely different uh direction like the bvs director's cut is a fucking superior film because they fill in all those massive plot pits uh that got left in there and there's stuff in there that actually connects the movie better. And in this, I think a lot of it is just like, that could go, that could go, that could go. This doesn't need to be here. Like, this is taking too long. Yeah, for sure. Right. And, you know, maybe we'll uh, revisit this one day, take a look at the original cut, maybe do like a mini episode. Not making any promises, but maybe that's an idea we can uh, ponder on. Well, here's the thing, and this might entice some people. Uh, Arlen has decided to break our no anime uh, rule for Phantom Zone and wants to cover the Guyver movies. Uh, for Phantom Zone in a completely different way and that might be an opportunity for a crossover event mm. <laughs> well there you go Guyver is link we're, we're, we're breaking down boundaries with this fucking thing it's gonna be the crossover event of this summer it's gonna be Phantom Zone X movie dumpster Guyver <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm with it it's a lot of fucking Guyver this year <laughs> I like it so that's it that's Guyver Dark Hero from 1994 directed by Steve Wang I'm Joel Escola. I'm Sean O'Rourke. I'm Connor McGraw. Thanks for visiting the dumpster. How does it feel to be obsolete? Outclassed by new model. Ah! Sorry, Frank. This model has been recalled.